episode of Fan Holes Big in Japan. I'm Justin and I'll be your host. Joining me tonight are two of my fellow fan holes. Why don't you guys go ahead and introduce yourselves? This is Derek, Derek WC. Kaneda Tetsuo! Kaneda! Hey guys, how you doing? This is Tony and well, you know, I'm glad we did this in a certain way or I would never have known that bike was red. And if you couldn't guess what we're discussing, we will be delving into the epic and legendary work Akira, but unlike some podcasts, we're going to be mainly focusing on the manga. And this is an episode that Derek and I have been kind of discussing for about a year. And to be perfectly honest, like I was the one who was kind of kept putting it off because I was kind of afraid of it. We'll get to that later. And since this episode is really Derek's baby, I'm going to go ahead and turn the podcasting reins over to him. So take it away, sir. Well, you know, Akira, as it stands, is the great-granddaddy of Blue Cupcakes, and this is basically our final installment in Blue Cupcake Strike Back Month, and what better anime film to be discussing than Akira. But yeah, like like Justin was saying, I mean, I've, I've kind of always wanted to, you know, I, I always like looking at the source material for things, and kind of, especially when it's worth looking at, because... You know, the original manga, it's by Ketsuhiro Otomo, and that's also the same person who basically wrote and directed the Akira film, but they're they're two very, very different animals, you know? And and I just you know, I, I guess I know there are probably like these little bite-sized videos on YouTube where they try to point out some of the differences and everything and make highlights for people and stuff like that. But, you know, a lot of the times I'll hear people talk about the film and, you know, whether it's somebody like Roger Ebert or something, or, you know, it's just, you know, fellow podcasters who are kind of keen on the film and they want to discuss it with, you know, their, their fellow, you know, co-hosts and all that other kind of stuff. But like a lot of the times it'll come to the point in the conversation where they'll be like, have you ever read like the original manga? And most people will be like, no, man, I've never read it. And there was a period in my life where I know that, I guess if anybody has followed the entire Fanals podcast, they kind of know how I feel about black and white like comics in general, you know, like kind of like their coloring books. And so, you know, in, in some sense, like there there is that aspect. That doesn't mean I've never read a black and white comic before or anything, but there is that aspect in me that kind of turns my nose up at black and white comics and stuff like that. And I think the fact that 
Akira had that epic run at Marvel and it was colorized by Steve Olaf, like that was something that once I was into watching anime and I had seen the film a number of times, I didn't mind seeking out some of those comics, you know, like, and it was, it wasn't easy to get like a whole, you know, 38 issue run or whatever. And and in some cases, I remember seeing those like hard covers where I think I collected like, like two or three of those issues. And like, I think it was like, there's like a total of like 10 of those hardcovers or whatever. But the point is, they're colorized. And like, that was something that was, I was always keen on. And then because they were also I guess, quote-unquote, Americanized, you know? Like, this was back when they would take manga and not essentially preserve it, you know? It wasn't... It, you weren't reading it from right to left like they do in Japan. They would take mirrors and they would actually get clean copies of the art and, and re-letter and, and colorize and, and all this kind of stuff. And I, you know, just... it's It's my personal opinion that that always brings for a more richer experience. And and so that was something that I was pretty keen on, I think, in the late, well, actually, probably early 2000s. I, I think there's a number of things to discuss, whether it's the different versions of the film and, and kind of how they compare to the manga and everything. But I think probably what the best thing to do is, is we're probably going to cut to a commercial break here in a second. And I think I've pre-recorded like some synopses of the film and the manga. And so, you know, just to give people a general idea of maybe what some of the broad differences are. And then we, when we come back from the break and some of those commercial breaks, then, then we can get into the nitty gritty about, you know, the film itself and, and maybe, you know, some of Justin's reservations and, and, and what we all kind of thought of, you know, the film and the manga and that whole general experience and maybe even, you know, delve into to some of the, our early introductions to this, you know, whether it be the film or the manga. So stay tuned and we'll be right back. Greetings, podcast listener. Do you like... Gotcha, or maybe... Dragon Flame! How about... Tatsuo! Or... In the year 1999, an abandoned alien battle fortress crash-landed on the planet Earth. Our most brilliant scientist and engineer spent the next 10 years reconstructing the damaged ship and studying its highly advanced space technology called Robotech. Do you remember... Our Star Blazers! Or this? The year is after Colony 195. As the world constantly changes in the chaotic era, there are two mobile suits that could turn humans into the ultimate weapon. The Wing Zero and the Epion. Or maybe even this. After the desire for blood pools all, the only hope left is the one they call D. Or this. Team, grappler ships dead ahead! It wouldn't be fun otherwise. Let's do it! Or... If Cardus is allowed to be reborn, she'll destroy Marmo as well as Lodos. Or have you seen the latest episode of... And just like that, everything changed. At that terrible moment, in our hearts, we knew... Home was a pen. Humanity, cattle. 
If you answered yes to any of these questions, then you should check out Anime Freaks, hosted by Dr. Bill Robinson and me, Gene Hendricks. Anime Freaks is a monthly podcast covering all things anime. It is available at twotruefreaks.com and on iTunes under Two True Freaks Presents Anime Freaks. On July 16th, 1988, Tokyo is engulfed in a massive explosion that obliterates the city and starts World War III. In 2019, 31 years after the explosion, Tokyo gets rebuilt as Neo-Tokyo in order to recover. In August 2019, Shotaro Kaneda leads the Capsules, his Bosoku gang, to fight against the rival gang known as the Clowns. However, Kaneda's best friend, Tetsuo Shima, is injured when he almost crashes his motorcycle into Takashi, a small esper sprung from a secret government laboratory by a dissident underground revolutionary organization. Takashi is captured by the armed soldiers, and Tetsuo is hospitalized. When Kaneda and his gang are interrogated, he encounters Kei, a member of the revolutionary group, and arranges her release along with his own gang. Meanwhile, Colonel Shikishima and Dr. Onishi discover that Tetsuo possesses psychic capabilities similar to Akira, a young esper who caused Tokyo's destruction 31 years earlier. Kyoko, another esper, has has visions of Neo-Tokyo's destruction, and the colonel tells Onishi to kill Tetsuo if he thinks the power may get out of control. Tetsuo flees from the hospital and meets up with his girlfriend, Kaori, and they steal Kaneda's motorcycle. When Tetsuo and Kaori are confronted by the clowns, Kaneda and the capsules save them both. Tetsuo begins to suffer a psychic migraine, and Dr. Onishi has Tetsuo taken back to the hospital. Saving Kei from being captured after a guerrilla attack, Kaneda is led to the rebels' headquarters and cooperates with them after overhearing their plans to kidnap Tetsuo. Meanwhile, Takashi, Kyoko, and Masaru, another esper, unsuccessfully attempt to kill Tetsuo. Tetsuo eventually goes on a violent rampage through the hospital, intent on killing the espers. Kaneda, Kei, and the Colonel unsuccessfully try to stop Tetsuo's rampage. Discovering that Akira is in cryonic storage below Neo-Tokyo's new Olympic Stadium, Tetsuo flees. Kei and Kaneda are detained, but Kyoku, using Kei as a medium, explains that Tetsuo must be stopped and facilitates the youth's escape before taking the girl away to combat Tetsuo. Desperate to find Tetsuo, the colonel places Neo-Tokyo under martial law. Tetsuo confronts and kills Yamagata, a member of the capsules. He then proceeds to destroy the city as he makes his way to the stadium, brutally dispatching the military forces who attempt to stand in his way. Upon learning of Yamagata's death from his friend Kai, Kaneda follows Tetsuo to the stadium seeking revenge. When Tetsuo arrives at Akira's cryogenic containment unit, he defeats Kei and exhumes the Akira vault from the ground, but discovers all that is left of Akira are glass canisters filled with his remains, his body having been subjected to numerous scientific experiments. Kanena confronts and unsuccessfully tries to defeat Tetsuo with an experimental laser weapon, while the colonel uses an orbital laser to sever Tetsuo's right arm. 
Tetsuo pulls the orbital weapon into the atmosphere and synthesizes an artificial arm from the remains while studying Akira's organs. When Kaori arrives, Tetsuo's psychokinetic powers have begun to cause him immense pain. The colonel explains that the Esper's migraine controlling drugs administered to Tetsuo are to stunt the evolution of uncontrollable abilities. Despite the colonel's pleas for Tetsuo to return to the hospital, Tetsuo nearly kills the colonel, but Kaneda confronts him. Unable to control his powers, Tetsuo's body begins to transform into a giant mass, engulfing Kaneda and crushing Kaori to death. The Espers awaken Akira, who had merely grown beyond the requirement of a coherent biological form. Manifesting himself from the canisters, Akira reunites with his friends. Akira uses his psychic powers to create a blinding ball of light that engulfs the city which he uses to contain Tetsuo. As Akira confronts Tetsuo, the Espers hurry to teleport the Colonel to safety and, over Masaru and Kyoko's objections, Takashi jumps into the light to rescue Kaneda. The other espers join Takashi, deciding that it will take all three of them to save Kaneda, aware that they likely will not be able to return. Kaneda experiences Tetsuo's and the Esper's childhood memories, including how much Tetsuo trusted Kaneda as a friend and how the children were first studied before Tokyo's destruction. The Esper's remove Kaneda from the destruction and tell him that Akira will be taking Tetsuo to safety. Kyoko implies that Kei is beginning to develop her own psychic powers, and this is confirmed when Kei calls Kaneda out telepathically. Akira's psychic power destroys most of Neo Tokyo, and after disappearing, leaves a void that is quickly filled by the ocean. Dr. Onishi is killed when his research laboratory is crushed. Kaneda awakens to discover that Kei and Kai have survived, and they drive away into the city. The colonel walks out of the tunnel that the espers teleported him to, and watches the sun rising over the destroyed city. Tetsuo comes into full control of his powers, as he initiates a big bang in another dimension, uttering the words, I am Tetsuo. so tough after all, were you? Now it's time to send you to the next dimension. 291 original episodes. This can't be. It's still going up. 325 manga chapters. You act innocent, but you're deadly. Time to die! Dozens of characters, hundreds of enemies, and a whole lot of violence. That kind of violence is pointless! You see, Super Saiyans tend to be a bit violent. Oh, crap! Join hosts Donovan and Jesse as they cover the arrival of the Saiyans, the journey to Namek, the battle with Frieza, the mystery of the androids, and the terror of Majin Buu. I lied when I said you could go, at least partially lied, for I will let you go to another dimension. The Next Dimension, a Dragon Ball Z podcast. Join the fight at dbznextdimension.libson.com. See ya. What has gone before? The year is 2030. The world is rebuilding from World War III. In Neo-Tokyo, plans are being made to hold the next Olympics in the old city. 
where 38 years before the first of the bombs fell. There, a band of teenage delinquents led by Kaneda encounter number 26, a child named Takashi, who uses extraordinary telekinetic abilities to injure Tetsuo, one of Kaneda's close friends. As a result, Kaneda and Tetsuo become entangled in a power struggle between a mysterious military and scientific organization led by a man known only as the Colonel and an underground resistance group bent on putting a stop to the Colonel's activities. Among the resistance, Kaneda meets Kei, a girl he alternately maddens and tries to seduce, and Kei's quote-unquote brother. Ryu. Other important resistance members include Ryu's supervisor, the opposition party leader, Nezu, and a powerful religious leader with strong precognitive gifts, Lady Miyako. The colonel has a number of children like number 26 under his control. Each child possesses a distinct set of psychic talents and is identified by a number marked on the hand. At one time, Lady Miyako was number 19 in this series. Another of the children is the mental giant, Akira, so powerful that since the war began he has been buried beneath the Earth's surface, suspended in cryogenic sleep. The Colonel's staff subjects Tetsuo to painful experiments, which awaken tremendous telepathic potential in the boy, who is redubbed Number 41. Unfortunately, as his powers appear, a monstrous side of Tetsuo's nature also appears. Able to shrug off the most serious injuries, Tetsuo goes on a killing spree, murdering one of Kaneda's friends and even attacking Kaneda. Then Tetsuo sets out in search of Akira, whose powers he fears may rival his own. The psychic children who also fear Akira's power and worry about the disaster Tetsuo may unleash use their talents to help Kaneda and Kei follow Tetsuo to the Olympic site where Akira rests. The colonel follows with his troops and scientists, as Tetsuo easily repels soldiers armed with the most sophisticated weaponry. The scientists monitoring Akira's cryogenic sleep realize that even in hibernation, Akira's power is responding to Tetsuo's psychic energy. As Kei and Kaneda watch from hiding, Tetsuo reaches Akira's resting place. The cryonic chamber begins to crack from within. Akira emerges. The paranormal giant is still dazed and weak with the after effects of his coma. Kei and Kaneda follow as Akira and Tetsuo make their way to the surface. Terrified of what may occur, the colonel summons the powerful SOL military satellite and orders that its laser cannon be fired at Tetsuo and Akira. The two are separated by the blasts. Akira is saved by Kei and Kaneda, but Tetsuo is less fortunate. The laser strikes his left arm. Following the disaster, Neo-Tokyo is placed in a state of military emergency. Caretaker robots patrol the streets, dealing harshly with the looters and restoring order. The colonel successfully conceals the truth about what has occurred despite leaks to the media, but he is discredited and made a scapegoat following the disaster. The colonel decides to use the emergency as an excuse to hunt down and utterly destroy the resistance. 
Kay and Kaneda take shelter with Chiyoko, a formidable woman in the resistance. Nezu, planning to exploit Akira for his own purposes, has Kay bring the child to him and orders his staff to kill the three resistance fighters. They manage to escape and go to Nezu's house where Akira is hidden. By the time Nezu arrives home, the government has been overthrown by the colonel's inner circle and a provisional military regime is in its place. Kaneda, Kei, and Chiyoko manage to free Akira, only to have him stolen from them again, this time by Sakaki, leader of a trio of young psychics trained in the techniques of espionage and infiltration. Her partners, Miki and Mozu, and she are working covertly for Lady Miyako, trying to avert the catastrophe the great psychic fears Nezu's betrayal may cause. The colonel has also come on the scene with his troops and his gifted children, and is frantically trying to find Akira before he fully awakens. Mayhem erupts with Kaneda, Kei, and Chiyoko in the thick of it. Nezu corners Sakaki and Akira, but before Nezu can do them any harm, Miki sacrifices her life, enabling the pair to escape. Enraged, Nezu orders his soldiers to bring them back, dead or alive. On the colonel's orders, Takashi corners Mozu. When she refuses to reveal the name of her teacher, he kills her during a psychic showdown. Sakaki hides Akira in a dumpster, planning to go back for him after she has evaded their pursuers. Instead, the boy is found by Ryu, who is completely unaware of Akira's identity until they encounter Nezu. Nezu blurts out the child's name. By this time, Ryu has ample evidence that his former master has repeatedly double-crossed the entire resistance movement and Ryu personally. When Nezu draws a weapon and attempts to kill Ryu and Akira, Ryu shoots him. Sakaki, traumatized by her friend's deaths, but determined to complete her mission, catches up with Ryu. She beats him in a fight and again regains control of Akira. However, Kaneda, Kei, and Chiyoko arrive in time for Kaneda to knock Sakaki for a loop and prevent her escape. Then all of them, Akira and the fighters from all the splinter groups within the resistance are cornered by the colonel, his children, and the army. 2030. The world hovers on the brink of World War IV. Kaneda, one-time leader of a delinquent gang, is caught up in the aftermath of a power struggle between a Japanese military research organization, led by a man known only as the Colonel, and a resistance group whose members included Kei, Ryu, and a formidable woman named Chiyoko. The Colonel had a number of psychic children under his control. Each one was identified by a number tattooed on the hand. Among them were Kyoko and Masaru, numbers 25 and 27. The blind Lady Miyako, number 19, now heads a great religious cult. Number 41 is Tetsuo, who lost his left arm to a laser blast from the Colonel's military satellite, SOL, and has used cybernetics and telekinesis to fabricate a prosthetic replacement. Tetsuo was Kaneda's dearest friend until he used his burgeoning powers to slaughter other members of their gang. Now Kaneda is out for revenge. Most powerful of all the children is number 28, Akira. Almost 40 years ago, he started the Third World War with a mental blast. He has since been in cryogenic sleep. Akira was recently reawakened by Tetsuo, and again he devastated the reconstructed city of Neo-Tokyo. Japan now exists in a state of emergency, with the army and the members of the resistance scattered throughout.
In the western part of Neo-Tokyo, the Great Tokyo Empire is formed, a monarchy with Akira on the throne, and Tetsuo as his prime minister. To the east, Lady Miyako welcomes refugees to her shrine. In this, she is aided by Kyoku, Masaru, and a number of loyal psychic monks. The Empire is infiltrated by teams of spies and commando units from the outside world, equipped with biochemical armaments which take a tremendous toll on Tetsuo's forces. A fleet of foreign ships waits in Tokyo Bay, poised for action. Aboard an American naval vessel, an international conclave of scientists and one Tibetan monk study the Akira phenomenon, which they've codenamed Juvenile A. One of the scientists, Stanley Simmons, goes ashore to implement a secret plan. The research team is certain that using military force against Akira and Tetsuo can only lead to disaster. When the fleet sends fighter planes against Tetsuo, he sinks their flagship, forcing the survivors to flee. Meanwhile, Kei joins Miyaku's forces in battle against Tetsuo because Kei is a powerful medium through whom the others can project their powers and strike as one. Kaneda teams up with Kai and Joker, a friend and rival from his gang days. Using salvaged weapons, the trio lead a ragtag force to help Kei battle Tetsuo. As they fight, Akira looks placidly on, drawn by the similarity of Tetsuo's powers to his own. Tetsuo is grief-stricken over the death of his gentle girlfriend, Kaori. He carries her body to the underground chamber where Akira once slept. Akira follows and is joined by Kaneda, Joker, Chiyoko, and Ryu. They prepare to fight in the bowels of the earth where many of their comrades died. Tetsuo's powers have grown erratic. His body frequently bloats and expands, engulfing those who venture too close. For a moment, it seems that contact with Kaneda has restored Tetsuo's humanity. Then Tetsuo's power comes surging back and Kaneda is drawn into his monstrous form, apparently consumed. As the battle rages, Akira becomes more alert. Terrified at what might occur if Akira awakens fully, Ryu panics. He draws a gun and shoots Akira, setting the boy his power free. Seeking a new power source for himself, Tetsuo flies to Lady Miyako's shrine. Kei follows in hot pursuit. Lady Miyako instructs Kyogo and Masaru to look after Akira, and the pair teleport away to help their friend. Lady Miyako, her followers, and Kei prepare to make a final stand against Tetsuo. Kyoku and Masaru meet Akira on the psychic plane. They are joined by the spirits of all the gifted children who have died before, telling Kei that the resolution depends on her. Lady Miyako heroically draws Tetsuo to herself and is killed. As she dies, she too is drawn to the spirit plane, where the souls of friends who have gone before await. Kei is guided in her battle by her late mentor's commands and is able to break through to Tetsuo. His concentration interrupted, he is vulnerable, and is himself consumed by the force of Akira's mind. Trapped within Tetsuo's soul, Kaneda experiences a fractured, kaleidoscopic journey through his late friend's life and hardships. He shares with Tetsuo both the good memories and the bad. Kaneda is contacted by Lady Miyaku's spirit and is stunned by what she tells him. Although Tetsuo and Akira were created in laboratories, they, along with all the catastrophe they bring, are a vital part of mankind's evolution. All this madness has been part of a greater cosmic good. As Tetsuo's spirit joins others on a higher plane, Kaneda is guided back to reality, sanity, and safety.
by friends who still need him in the world he left behind. A fan podcast devoted to the comic series Xenozoic Tales. It's a post-apocalyptic adventure series filled with Cadillacs and dinosaurs. I'm Ruth. And I'm Darren. We hope you'll join us as we discuss the stories, characters, and art in this excellent comic series from creator, writer, and artist Mark Schultz. Xenozoic Xenophiles is available at podbean.com and on iTunes and Stitcher. And find us at xenozoicxenophiles.com. Hey guys, welcome back. So we hope you've enjoyed listening to those commercials and, and that you have a rough idea of the the general outline of some of the differences between the the film and the manga. But I think we're gonna we're gonna get really deep into this, or at least that's my hope. But I, I guess, you know, opening it up to Justin, like, why don't you talk about your reservation with with doing this? Like you were kinda you you had a lot of trepidation about even kind of tackling the manga and it's like when they describe it you know they, they do kind of say oh you know how how long is this manga and it's you know it's over 2,000 pages you know like the author started it in 1982 and it didn't finish until 1990 you know so you're thinking like well instead of investing time and in watching you know say a two-hour film which in and of itself is kind of its own little epic experience like you know, reading a 2,000-page manga that took pretty much, like, eight years to finish. Like, what were your kind of thoughts on that? I guess my main fear was just the size of the work itself. Like, I remember going into my local comic shop and just seeing those, those huge volumes of Akira and just being yeah. like, wow, that's that's something I will never, ever read. And when you pitch this idea to me, that's that's what I had in my mind. I just pictured myself reading these volumes endlessly and, and doing nothing else for like a month. And, you know, like, I mean, you guys know me, like I love to read and I'm not afraid of lengthy books. One of my best friends is always joking. He's like, when you're going to read Dostoevsky or something like, because he, he knows I can sit down and I can devour a Stephen King novel like it or one of the Game of Thrones novels in just like a day or two. Like that's that's how quick I can read and absorb that kind of thing. But I just I don't know. I was just kind of hesitant to read Akira based on you know just walking into the comic book store you know a hundred thousand times or whatever and seeing those volumes and just going I want to read you but you're scaring me. But I guess what helped was you know Derek provided the thirty eight individual volumes and they're colorized which. I don't have a problem with black and white manga, but I think I think that kind of helped. And for the first several volumes, they were really kind of spot on with the the film because that's the only reference point I had. But then when the manga started to go into new territory, that's when I really became interested in it. Like I was I was kind of like tasking myself. I would say, okay, I'm going to read three volumes today and take notes on those volumes. And then when I started getting into the new territory, I would be like, okay, I'm going to 
I'm just going to read one volume and take notes. Well, I, I found myself really getting into it, and I was like reading four or five volumes at a time, and I was just like, man, this is really, this is really kind of fascinating. Like I had no idea there was so much material that was not in the film, and so many characters that are just in the manga, and just there's a lot of characters that interact in the manga that don't even meet in the film, and there's just there's a lot more nuance to it and there's a lot more explanation of characters and motives and backstories like the thing i was always thought was kind of a little sketchy in the film is the re relationship between ryu and mr nezu like you can watch the film and you can get that nezu is providing ryu information and he's not supposed to right and that's kind of the that's kind of the inference you get from the film. But if you go into the manga, it's this huge, like, conspiracy thing where, like, he's feeding him information. Kay's working for him. Like, they're they're actually a resistance cell. And, you know, they're trying to get Takashi out of the, you know, the baby room or whatever. And it just kind of spirals out from there. And, like, Mr. Nezu actually, at one point, possesses Akira. Like, he, like he physically has the kid himself. And I just thought that kind of stuff was really fascinating. That's why I was like, when I was getting into it, I was just like, man, like I would get to the end of one volume and I'd be like, well, I would, I, I have to read like the next one. You know, it's like, I got to like, you know, go do laundry or something. But I, I'm like just sitting down here devouring the manga. And, you know, you said you felt having read the manga gave you a better understanding of the film. That's how I felt too, because I, read all 38 volumes, you know, I took my notes and I would, I spent like a day or two just kind of digesting all of it. And then I sat down and watched the film again. And it had been a while since I'd actually watched the film. Morning. The following offer is for mature audiences only. Exciting, mysterious, intense, graphic, provocative, raw. This is no ordinary animation. This is the exotic, bizarre, and beautiful world of Japanese anime. And this is your invitation to enter with the modern classic, Akira. Critics say Akira makes Blade Runner look like Disney World. It's action-packed, the future of animation. Siskel and Ebert call it the video pick of the week. Akira is yours for only $4.95 with subscription when you order the best of Japanese animation collection series. With these state-of-the-art sci-fi classics, you will enter a world beyond imagination, a future out of control, and an experience you will never forget. Don't say we didn't warn you. Call 1-800-414-4422 now to order Akira for only $4.95 plus $3.79 shipping and handling. Future volumes are $19.95 plus shipping. Mature audiences only. So it was kind of interesting watching the film with all this added, like, backstory from the manga. And I was like, okay, well, they've changed this and they've changed that. And what, what I thought was kind of interesting, and maybe I'm getting ahead of you a little bit, but in the film, like, the character Kauri she's already Tetsuo's girlfriend. And I was like, that's kind of interesting because in the manga, like she doesn't appear until halfway through and her circumstances are completely different. Like she's going to the Akira empire or what have you. And she's, she needs medicine for her father. Like after the, you know, initial explosion of uh, Akira being released and she ends up being part of this like, orgy for Tetsuo and they give all the women pills and she's the only one who survives and then 
once she survives, she basically becomes mother hen to Tetsuo and Akira. She's kind of like taking care of them. And she's even like feeding Akira and tucking him into bed. And whenever like Tetsuo is like going out of his mind from like his power or from his drugs, or he's withdrawing from his drugs, like she's kind of there to kind of comfort him. I just thought that just that change alone from the manga to the film was just very interesting. Yeah. I think, I, I think for me, like, I think the reason why I was so insistent on on having us look at the manga is because I I feel like Akira, like the film, I've always thought was kind of strange, and and I guess it's it's easy to say that, but when you read the manga, I feel like there's a lot of stuff that while it still may be visually strange, I had a full grasp. Like, it, it, it's like, you know, when most people, like, if, if you, if you present the film Akira to a layman who's never seen anime, who has no context for it, and you put it in front of them, right? Like, you get kind of a generalized reaction. The generalized reaction is, oh, look, there's these biker gangs. That's kind of cool. And then and then you get this whole, well, there's something weird going on with these kids and this power and 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 then it gets all then it gets really like blue cupcakey where you're like, what there's milk over the fucking teddy bears and the teddy bears and the bunny rabbits are like disappearing in the guy's fucking hand and you don't know what the fuck's going on and there's this nursery bullshit and everything starts going kinda haywire and crazy. And by the end of it, you know, Tetsuo, who's one of the biker gang members, you know, he's kind of the you know, for lack of a better term, he's the runt of the biker gang litter that's led by Kaneda, right? And 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 their their biker gang, which I think if you don't read the manga, like the biker gang is called the capsules. He wears a jacket that has a fucking capsule on the back of it. The capsules are drugs. Like the reason why, like I, I think for me, one of the key differences that that I took away from reading the manga, like you bring up Kaori, right? But like for me, one of those things is Tetsuo becomes empowered with these, you know, psychic powers, basically. And the first thing he does is he takes over the clowns. The clowns yeah. are bringing him like truckfuls of these fucking drugs because yeah, they're like they're like he just ate like five thousand dollars worth of pills in one sitting <laughs> you know the, the idea is these pills that they give the kids you know takashi and masaru and kyoko you know all the little weasened kids or whatever that have these psionic powers like just one of those pills is like taking you know hundreds of thousands of these capsules just in one pill like one pill for these people who have the power would kill a normal person that's why that orgy that Kauri participates in she does not swallow the pill because she thinks it's medicine so she's saving it for her dad and the other two chicks that participate do swallow the pills and of course their heads fucking explode by the end of it you know and it's like it's like one of those things where I, you know, there there are these aspects, I think, that the, when a layman watches the film, there are things that are mentioned in it, there are subtleties, it's there, like, 
the, the the author's intent and and ideas are in that film, but it's kind of Frankenstein together, and it's kind of this jumbled mess, and it's like one of those things where, you know, I guess if you're a film buff, you know, you can watch it hundreds of times and get something new out of it each time, and there are these people like Roger Ebert that like watching it and get a kick out of it or whatever, right? And And it gets highly praised and everything, but I think... I, I I just feel like when I watch the manga or read the manga and then watch the film, I, I think for me, the understanding's better that, you know, by the end of the film, a layman would say, well, dude, this kid like turns into this weird blob of mess and I don't even know what the hell's going on. And then everybody starts dying and crazy shit happens. And, you know, basically that it's the pinnacle of, of what one would consider blue cupcakes, like weird for the sake of being weird. It's like this kid's body you know, becomes this amorphous, gelatinous, strange, flesh-eating thing, and then it implodes on itself, and then all of a sudden, this little kid, who's apparently been dead the whole time, like, comes out and takes him away, and then the movie fucking ends. Like, I mean, that's that's what most people would see, but when you sort of read the manga, I feel like you, you get this idea of, the the notion of, the power is so great that Tetsuo's body cannot contain it. So now the power within him is taking over other physical mass just to contain itself. Like that's how awesome the power is that's within him, right? But I don't I don't know that I I mean I know it's subtly dropped, you know, things that the scientists say and things that the colonel says. Like there there are there are hints of it in the film, but I feel like, you know, I, I never really had a full understanding of it. And I, I guess the way I feel about it is watching the film is like, you know, tripping out on LSD and having no understanding of it. But reading the <laughs> manga is like tripping on LSD and then listening to Grant Morrison give you like this expert dissertation on what you just fucking saw <laughs> in your tripped out LSD haze. And you went, oh shit, I walked up a pyramid. And the reason why I walked up the pyramid is because I want to ascertain new heights in my career and my life. And I was headed towards the sun because the sun is my goal and the sun is, uh, uh, you know, vision of, you know, a, a godlike, you know, being in most cultures, and I'm trying to, you know, make myself unto my god, and blah, 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 you know, whatever it is, right? And Morrison explains it to you, and, and I just felt like reading the manga, I felt like super enlightened, where I'm like, it's almost like reading the manga makes me go, oh, Akira isn't as blue cupcakey as I thought it was. Like, I, I, I feel like I kind of, you know, reading that manga made me feel like, oh, I kind of, you know, I kind of understand what's going on, and it doesn't seem as head trippy to me as it did when I just saw this kind of film that felt a little kind of, you know, like like a Frankenstein nightmare type thing, where there are these pieces that he put together and, and wanted to convey, but in some sense, you know, the film is almost unfinished. You know, like, like, like in, in some sense, I've, I've heard a lot of people describe it. I don't know that I necessarily agree with it, but you kind of mentioned early on, you thought that the early issues of the manga basically seem to adhere, you know, pretty closely. I mean, there, there are things that are still different, right? But, but some of the basic beats within Neo Tokyo, you know, that segment of the manga 
are similar to the film. But then once it gets into, you know, introducing Akira, you know, like Akira in the film is basically dissected, right? He digs up yeah. Akira and Akira is nothing. Like it's, it's a set of eyes and a brain and a spine and all this other bullshit. And, you know, I, I guess the idea you're supposed to get from watching the film is Akira has transcended the need for a physical body. But nobody spells that out for you. Nobody, you know, William Shatner's not there going, Akira has transcended the need for physical form. <laughs> you know, like, you don't know yeah. that that's what's fucking going on because nobody's there to tell you that, right? And, like, in the, in the, in the manga, he does have, like, that's one of those things where I was like, holy shit, the thing's called Akira, and I'm reading the manga, and here's fucking Akira. Like, I, it, you just felt like, Oh my god! Like, this makes so much more sense! You know, like, like, I get this now. Like, and, and the kid, you know, like, like, they talk about, you know, his influences, the author's influences, and they talk about, you know, how, how basically this is, this is Gigantor influenced. You know, it's Tetsujin 28, right? It's like Tetsujin, Tetsuo, you know, Akira's number 28, and it's Tets, you know, Tetsujin 28. Kaneda is one of the characters in, you know, Gigantor or Tetsujin 28, you know, it's, it's supposed to be the Colonel, like all these things are supposed to be, I guess, you know, nods or homages or whatever you want to call them. Easter eggs. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then, so like you're, you're kind of sitting there going, Oh, okay. Like it's mind blowing, but not in a confusing, incoherent way. Like I think sometimes I think (laughs) you're like what, what I always felt my initial viewing of the film was like, cause I, I did not, I, I was not huge into anime, like, when I was younger. Like, I, I think I adhered to, I mean, I thought Vertigo shit was weird. You know what I mean? Like, like, I right. kind of strictly adhered to, you know, superhero comics, you know, kind of, you know, the, the, the meat and potatoes of American superhero comics. It's DC Marvel. And maybe occasionally, you know, in the nineties, I strayed into, you know, creator own things. Cause I was like, Oh, well, even, or some shit. Yeah. But, but, but I mean, even then it's like, whether it was image or Jim Starlin, you know, Malibu or whatever, you know, like a, a lot of those still had those same core concepts, whether it was science fiction space or, or just guys in capes beating other guys up in tights, you know? And, and, you know, maybe later on, you know, it's like, okay, you know, Frank Miller's Sin City and, and things like that. You, you, you slowly diverge into other aspects. And I think, you know, with, with anime, you know, I guess you could point to things that, you know, you, you didn't realize were anime when you were watching them, whether it was like Voltron or Robotech or things like that. So, I mean, or, or, or Battle of the Planets, you know, things like Speed that. Speed Racer. Yeah. Speed Racer, you know, what have you, right? You, you, you maybe didn't realize that was Japanese animation. And I think maybe like one of the first things I saw where I knew it was Japanese animation, it wasn't something that was being aired on TV. And, and you almost, were completely turned off by it, even though now, I, I mean, I'm kind of a fan of it and everything, but I think early on, there was a buddy of mine, and he said, oh, dude, you gotta watch this shit, and, and he showed me these videos of the Giver, and I was kind of like, oh, okay, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, and then so I'm like, okay, this kid, he turns into an armored thing, and I go, well, that's a little weird, but okay, I guess he's he's kind of like a superhero, except for he turns into a really weird, fugly, ugly-looking superhero, but okay, he's a superhero, and all of a sudden, he starts ripping fucking bodies apart, and, you know, there's probably, like, titties and whatever the fuck's in that, right? And you're just kind of like, this is 
not the meat and potatoes that I'm used to, right? And so you're immediately turned off by it, you know, because you're like, this is so weird. And I think it probably was, like, this film came out in 1988. I'm sure even as a comic reader and, and being into the kind of stuff that I was into, Akira's advertising permeated within me even though I never watched it or read it at that time. You know, like, probably the ads, and, you know, I kind of went, oh, what is this? Like, you know how you were saying you were daunted by those big, like, Dark Horse phone books or whatever? I mean, I remember seeing those epic volumes in the comic shops and the hardcovers and kind of going, wow, like, what's that hardcover thing? That looks kind of interesting, but like you, I was like, hardcover volume, like, 36 of 38? Like, I was like, Whoa, like, that's way too rich for my blood, you know, like, 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 you know, like, 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 I gotta buy 38 hardcovers to follow whatever this kind of semi-cool looking thing is that I don't understand, like, I, I don't know, man. Well, it didn't help, it didn't help that, like, when they were promoting Akira over here in the States, like, I don't know about you, Derek, but any of the promotional material I saw as far as, like, visuals, they were really pushing it as a Blade Runner kind of thing, like, post, like, you know, Neo, like steampunky, whatever kind of crap, and it's not that at all. You know, well, like... I mean, I, I think I think it has influences in things like cyberpunk oh, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and Blade Runner. I mean, people have made those connections or or, or tried to uh, ascribe potential influences to to that film, right? And and there, I mean, you know, even the author says like when because it was it was originally printed. Like, think of this, Justin. Like, you're talking about it, it's kind of wild to read those those volumes of the manga, but at least when you got into it, you had all those in front of you. Like, when this was serialized, like, in, I I guess it was, like, Young Magazine or whatever, like, it was 20 pages at a time. It was like reading, you know, pamphlet, like, comic books today. Like, like, Bendis pamphlet comics. You know what I mean? In You know, in in a huge book with a bunch of other Bendis pamphlet comics, but, you know, like, like, it was serialized in there from 1982 to 1990 the manga was not finished when the movie came out well i was about to say derek like that may be why the movie is kind of disjointed and stuff whereas they did get some stuff just like kind of really out of left field for how they did in the movie like okay it came out it came out in 88 a movie of that animation quality had to take at least two years because fucking transformers the movie took two years according to that you know and, and, and the other thing i mean for for film buffs I mean, I think the reason why this particular film is so widely regarded and vaunted and everything is, like, most anime was not pre-scored. Most anime was made on the cheap. Like, it was it was all, uh, you know, static backgrounds, and the most you would animate, it, you know, it was, it was supposed to be, you know, like, I, I forget what the, the math of it is, but, like, if, if you think, like, 24 frames per second for, you know, uh, you know, US TV or, you know, whatever the hell the region is or whatever, right? It's like, Disney films would animate each frame, right? Like, yeah. that, that's why they were so expensive. Like, that's why, you know, you know, Disney was seen the world over and everybody's like, oh, you know, like Disney, like that's why they were on the map. Like, like it was not cheaply made. It wasn't, wasn't the fucking Marvel superheroes where it's just a cardboard fucking Photoshop of Captain America being slid across a goddamn camera going, or 
whatever, you know, and, and neither is most anime, but there, anime is somewhere in between Grand Trey Lawrence and Disney, most anime, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's not every frame is animated. It's like every three frames is animated. And sometimes to cut on cost, it's like they'll have somebody draw this really elaborate George Perez, Jose Garcia Lopez, praise be his name, background. It'll be super hyper detailed. Nobody will animate that. They'll just stick a dude in front of it and his mouth will flap two or three times. And that's why yeah. most people look at anime and go, oh man, anime is super detailed, bro. And it's like, well, yeah, but nobody's animating it. It's just, it's cool, but nobody's doing anything with it. And I think the reason why the film Akira was so widely regarded was because it was almost the first film in Japan that was made like a Disney movie where every frame was animated. Like, and, yeah. and they used computer animation. They used cell animation. They used like, you know, pre, uh, I, I don't know what the, the proper term is, but it's like, you know how they, they, in CGI, they call it like pre-rendering. Like they would do that, but with the, the cells, like they would have people draw out all the animation and essentially pre-render it which is not the right term, but, you know, they they would do it ahead of the game and then refine it when they actually went to do the actual animation. So it's like, that that kind of stuff, I think, you know, sets it apart from other other anime and, and puts it on par with, you know, films, you know, along, you know, I, I keep bringing up Disney, but, you know, along the lines of, of films that, that were... You know, animated frame by frame, and right, and like, more, like Ghibli or something, were pre-scored. You know, like like most anime, you know, they they do the animation first, and then somebody comes in and 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 does the dialogue later. But in this case, they did the dialogue first, like in most U.S. stuff. They 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 use the actors maybe as reference and their facial expressions and different things like that, you know. So so you had all this kind of stuff going on. For me, like I guess what I was trying to get to, but I sort of got sidetracked in all this excitement is like I first watched this in nineteen ninety-five. Like I, I rented it on video, I watched it, I was it was it was like Early, it, it was probably the first couple months. Remember how I described when I, I saw Mallrats and I was like, I was at Loyola Marymount and I barely knew anybody because it was like the first month I was there. Like, I know it was around that same time frame because I think what I had decided in my infinite wisdom was I wasn't going to buy too many comics because I had no place to put them in my dorm room. But for some reason I got into, and it seemed to be socially acceptable to collect VHS tapes and people could watch them, you know, like on little, you know, TV sets that had, you know, the VHS, you know, you, you had like a tape player inside a TV set and you would stick it on top of your closet and that's how you would watch, you know, yeah, little, little, movies little fi- or whatever. Little 15 inch TV. Yeah. 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 And so, 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 you know, and, and so I remember renting it it was, and and this is something that I'll go into in detail probably because we're talking about it, and I kind of want to get into it. But this was the streamlined dub. Tetsuo, 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 hey, Tetsuo, 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 Kaneda, Tetsuo, Hi Kaneda, 
Kaneda. Tetsuo. 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 Kaneda. Kaneda. Tetsuo. Kaneda. Kaneda. Tetsuo. This was essentially the Leonardo from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles voicing Kaneda. You know, the, the one I saw. I saw that one too, yeah. You know, that, that was the first version I saw of Akira, where he's like, Tetsuo! You know, and shit like that, right? Where you're like, dude, that's Leonardo. You know, Leonardo is this, this you know, biker gang guy. You know, like, basically, the leader of the capsules, you know, Kaneda, right? And, and, and you know, for, for most people, even though I think the author likes to say there is no main character in this, I, I kind of think of Kaneda as the main character, which, again just delving into random tangents with the manga is interesting to me because you'll notice in the manga, he's got a girlfriend who is like the school nurse who gives them drugs. And yeah, he basically and... he knocks her up yeah. and, and she basically probably aborts this kid and it makes him seem like the biggest fucking douchebag in yeah. like the entire world. And like you, you kind of move away from that eventually because it gets into you know, the relationship between Kaneda and Kay and, 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 and that, that, that woman, you know, I don't know, maybe she was fucking wiped out once they had the second Neo Tokyo blast that, that Akira sets off or whatever. Like, I, I, you know, you don't know what happens to that woman, that nurse, but I, I think, especially in, in today's context, I mean, I'm sure it was awful even back then, but, but, I, I I felt like you know when you read that you're just kind of like <laughs> Has it gotten wow any better yeah it's like whoa you that's know, still terrible <laughs> yeah yeah the, the, that that's a it's like the, that's one of those things where you feel like wow like there there's one thing when when it's funny in the film they've got a group of uh, clowns no I I was gonna say I was gonna oh. say they, they they the the group that Cowrie is part of in the film are oh, okay. basically like they're like Rizzo and shit from like Greece or whatever. It's like they're they're these these gang girls that, that these malls that come hover over them. And one of them is supposed to be like this girl who's into Canada and gives him a smoke and he kind of is like, you know, swatting her away like an annoying fly. But it's like I, I don't know how to explain it. It's like there's no <laughs> was that the, was that the nurse? <laughs> no, 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 it wasn't. It wasn't. But but that's a thing where where you're like, well, that's one thing. Like if if there's a girl that's hanging on your shoulder, like you didn't make her hang on your shoulder. Like you're not a horrible human being if you're like, look, all right, you gave me a smoke, but enough. Like like you're violating my personal space. Like you know, I'm not too into you. Like you know, buzz off, basically, right? Like that's. You know, it's not nice, but it's not, you're not a scumbag, right? But I feel like in, in, in the context of the manga, he was like this cute boy treading on his good looks. He seduced potentially an older woman. I don't know. Like she's the school nurse, but she's also kind of in his age bracket. Like you don't really know. And, and he, 
he clearly is having sex with her, and he clearly knocked her up, and she clearly aborted the fucking baby, and, like, she's been giving them drugs from the, she's the school nurse, she has the keys to the fucking, uh, you know, uh, freaking, you know, what do they call it, the medicine cabinet, right? Like, you know, so, so, like, there's all that weird subtext to it where, like, you're, you're kind of like, wow, like, in some sense, there's interesting aspects where I think in the film, like, th there are some aspects where you're kind of more on Kaneda's side than Tetsuo, you know, because sometimes Tetsuo seems kind of like a whiny bitch and can't defend himself, you know? But then there's also that aspect where you're like, well, you know, Tetsuo was just trying to make friends and he's always getting picked on and, and anybody who's ever been picked on can probably, I mean, not to the extent that you're going to just wave your hand and explode like three or four human beings all at once. But like most people can kind of understand, like, look, I was picked on and I, I, I want to lash out at those people who picked on me. Right. Like anybody can understand that aspect, but I think sometimes in the manga, well, in the, in the manga, like Tetsuo, does have those moments where he does totally go into his power you know he's like you know enjoying it there's there's obviously yeah. those moments yeah. but there's plenty of times unlike the movie i feel because of the dub i think the dub we watched at least where it always seems like he's kind of getting off on it and the comic he, there's points where he just cannot fucking control himself he, he can't control it there there, there might be some level of redemption depending on what state of mind he's in at the time i don't i don't know like you know there there are things for me that where it goes up and down or back and forth where you're like am i am i identifying with some of these characters at certain points yes but then there's some points where you know even as much as you could say okay you know kanade is the lead quote unquote character you know that that instance with the school nurse like that kind of, you know, that that's an instance where I kind of either have to brush it under the carpet or ignore it cuz like that kind of thing makes me sick to my stomach. Whereas I think, you know, for some people it might be what Justin was talking about, the the whole, you know, sort of post, you know, World War 4, you know, Akira, you know, destroys Neo Tokyo essentially and now you're in this sort of almost walking dead scenario in you know the great the great Tokyo Empire. You're, you're in a fuck situation, so you're gonna you're gonna do fucked up stuff. <laughs> and like and like and 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 the the idea that Kaori was just part of this ha harem of 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 bitches, you know that 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 his his swarmy lieutenant guy grabbed for him, you know, and and even that guy it seems like a scummy guy too, where he's like, oh man, he even gets the ugly ones. Like, couldn't couldn't I just get one of them too? You know, and you're just kind of like, they're fucking people, man. Like, I, I don't know. Like, like, so, so there's that weird aspect where, where, you know, like you see people do these kind of, you know, fucked up things, you know, in the context of this dystopian environment, you know, where, where there's, it, it, it almost, it, it, it's interesting because the manga itself, like, whereas I think like the film has certain influences and has gone on to influence other people, I feel like, you know, the, the different turns the manga takes, like, yes, there's biker gang stuff, and yes, there's a science fiction aspect to it, and, and kind of, you know, psychic powers like, you know, I don't know, Firestarter and X-Men and, you know, whatever even, kind of Even, things. like, military stuff, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah th those kind of things, whatever you want to point to. But then I think when I looked at the manga, it's like, you know, those 
caretaker bots or whatever. Like, all I could think of is, like, you know, Ghost in the Shell standalone complex with those little spider robots. And, like, obviously, you know, I, I just feel like that Akira must have influenced that, even though maybe I saw those robots in Ghost in the Shell first before I ever read the manga. Does that make sense? Like where you're like, yeah. you're, you're seeing things, you know, where, where, you know, there's, you know, and obviously like Walking Dead was written way after the manga was written, but I'm, I'm bringing that up as like a kind of screwed up, uh, you know, apocalyptic dystopian vision and, and how that's what eventually becomes of this futuristic Neo-Tokyo society, you know, where it's like you, you go from one extreme to the other and, and it almost becomes like a very, you know, to, to use a more anime example, you know, it, it's like you, you go from, uh, freaking, what's the stupid city in, uh, uh, Star Wars to fucking Phantom Menace. Coruscant. Coruscant. You, you know, you go from, you go from Coruscant with all these bright lights and big buildings and all this crazy shit to, to like, you know, fist of the North Star, you know, rubble and people <laughs> fighting, <laughs> people fighting over a fucking cigarette to the death, you know, like that kind of shit where you're like, holy crap. Like, you know, basically it's like Coruscant was Coruscant and it turned into fucking Tatooine, basically. Like that's, that's the kind of extremes that you go to in, in, in the manga with that story, you know, and so yeah, and there's, you know, and, and, and then there's, you know, I, I kept thinking of like, you know, the, he was also dealing with, like, all the political ramifications that something like that would have, where you've got those naval fleets and the U.S. fleet is out there. And it started making me think of, like, you know, things like Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns, where Superman's out there, you know, beating the crap out of the Russians. And, it, it, made me, it made me think the abyss. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the abyss, like, like all those kind of things that you start thinking of. And it's like some things obviously came after and some things came before. But, you know, like, there's 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 those you know, influences, you know, that, you know, I mean, for, for the film, like, you know, I, I think of things like, I, I know it's totally random, but you know that in the, in the biker scene where Kaori is about to get raped basically by the clowns because Tetsuo's mm -hmm. taken the bike and everything. There's that scene, which I think of as famous because they rip off the, the, top. the, the <laughs> clown, no, the, the clown, the clown, takes the bike and Kaneda steps on the frame of the wheel and kicks the guy off the bike. Right. And that's like a big sequence in that film, right. The kind of action piece or whatever. And like mask of the phantasm. I know you're going to go, well, how does that influence mask of the fucking phantasm? Well, there's like the scene where Bruce Wayne, probably like a young Bruce Wayne or something, I forget what scene it is, but there's a scene basically where a guy on a fucking bike zooms to fucking Bruce Wayne. He doesn't kick him off the bike, but I think he does the same move as Kaneda. He, he, he puts his boot up on the wheel and then he punches the guy off the bike. And it's like, obviously like Bruce Tim, it's probably made no secret. Like Akira probably was highly influential to him as an animator. And then if you look at stuff like Return of the Joker, Batman Beyond, like there's that huge satellite the Joker uses where it's like firing the super giant laser on Gotham City. Like that's Floyd. That that's that's yeah, that's the sole satellite basically that you know that's that's you know used to like you know lop off Tetsuo's arm and everything. I mean that to me those are all like you know I'm like oh influences like what what came after this and what was heavily 
impacted, you know, based on the film. And I'm, I'm sure there's like dozens of examples, but, you know, us being, you know, comic fans and DC fans and Batman fans, you know, it's something easy to point to where you're like, probably for a lot of people, the first time they saw a guy, you know, take their boot on a motorcycle and knock somebody off, it might have been Mask of the Phantasm, but you're like, dude, Kaneda totally did that shit first, right? Like, so, you know, I don't know, I'm just pointing those things out, I guess. Well, I mean, like, even in the 90s, you know, considering when the movie was released, Kaneda, his most normal look is this kind of puffy jacket with, like, all these pockets and stuff on it, and there's always that, that image of him with the big laser cannon from the movie, and it's, like, attached to a pouch on his hip, and he's got pouches, pouches, pouches. It looks more streamlined in the movie, but a lot of characters in the 90s had all these pouches and then big laser guns. You know what's interesting about that, though? I think think that accentuates the difference in my understanding between the manga and the film and then the understanding of the dynamics of what that is. It's like when you talk about that, right? It's like, what's the pouch for? The pouch is a battery for that fucking laser gun. Like, it's, it's essential for the function of that laser. The reason why the gun is fucking honking huge is because it's a fucking laser. Like, like, yeah. like there's, and it, it's probably one of the only things that can like hurt these psionic people. Like where you, you see that in the film, it's kind of more verbalized and accentuated in the manga where they, they find it in one of the secret bases. And it's not just kind of happenstance like in the film where it's like, Oh look, somebody left the laser. Great. You know, like that <laughs> kind of thing. But you know, how it, convenient. it seems like cop, it seems commonplace in the movie, but in the manga, it's actually like, oh, shit, this is really something we need, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and, and and but then, you know, I mean, you know, not to, not even to sugarcoat your examples, but, I mean, you go to guys like Cable with pouches and big guns, it's like, are those pouches batteries? Like, who the fuck knows? Who the fuck cares? It's like, you know, the reason why Rob Liefeld drew it that way is because he thought it looked cool. And there's no denying that, you know, Kaneda looks cool. But there were yeah. there were also reasons why those were the way they were, and 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 I think you know in some ways I think unfairly you know I would I would watch that streamlined dub I guess to get back to the film and like kind of not have a complete understanding of things. And as much as I have a I, I really do have a soft spot for that streamlined dub. Like like in preparation for this, like not only did I reread the 38 volumes of the manga, but I watched the streamlined dub. I watched the dub that was made by Pioneer that was released in 2001, and I watched the Japanese language version. So I watched this like three times before we got on the air and everything. But I guess my point is, is that the the streamlined dub, while I have a soft spot for it, and I'm like, dude, look, it's Leonardo, man, like, and all that kind of stuff. Like, there's things about it that I think, like, the kids, basically, the, the, the you know, <laughs> it's like, it's like, yeah. it's interesting because they visually look like weasened old men and, and a weasened old little girl, right? But, I mean, in terms of, if you listen to the Japanese voices, they're much more accurately dubbed, I would say, in the the Pioneer dub, because they're given the voice of little kids. I mean, whether it's, you know, an adult trying to sound like a little kid or real little kids or whatever, you know, I mean, you know, that's the thing. Like, this is the signature blue cupcake line that we all laugh about and quote all the time, you know, but it's the, you know, because it has already begun, you know, and like that's, that comes from the Pioneer dub. You know, like, whereas, like, in the streamlined dub, 
because they were so wrinkled, I guess the choice was made to have them sound like like Masaru in that streamlined dub. He kind of like, hey, what's up, man? I had like five packs a day. You got to come back with us to the nursery, man. You know, and you're just like, oh. And they, they, like, they were just like, they, he looks like Yoda. He'll sound like Yoda. <laughs> and it's like, I, I kind of, I, I almost kind of understand that decision. Like, like, especially because it's such a, a tour de force of visual haberdashery. You know what I mean? Like, like what, what he, he interpreted it. You know, he interpreted the visuals he saw. Wrinkles means old voice to them. Whereas he didn't yeah. listen to the voice of the, you know, you know what I mean? Like, like maybe if some of, whoever was doing that dub, if he had gotten the chance to read all 38 issues of the manga and listen to a dub that hadn't even been come into existence yet and listen to, you know, a, a Japanese language audio, then maybe he would have been like, Oh, Oh, wait, wait, wait. I get it. Like, even though they're wrinkly, they're all still really little kids, you know, like, but, but, you know, see, yeah. see, I prefer the pioneer dub to be honest. And I mean, I grew up watching the streamlined dub like you guys. Like the first time I watched it was when it was on Sci-Fi Channel, and I recorded that onto a VHS tape. And I watched that streamlined dub over and over and over. And then when they did the Pioneer Genion dub in 2001, like I ran out and bought that. And I didn't know it was going to be a new dub, so I think the first time I watched it, I was like, what is this? This is new. Where, where's Leonardo? Like, <laughs> this is weird. I've got, like, Vash the Stampede and Ty from Ty Digimon. Ty from Digimon. And you've got, like, Faye <laughs> Valley. You, you just you've thought got, it was going to be remastered. You didn't know it was going to be totally redone, right? <laughs> yeah, and you've got, you know, Wendy Lee is Kay, and she's also Faye Valentine and Twilight Suzuka. But anyway... subject for human experimentation. You must take a look at this data. It's phenomenal. Is it safe, Doctor? Uh, what did you people do? The time of atonement is upon us. Are your hearts prepared? The time is nigh. He's developed so much power in such a short time, it's unbelievable. Keep away! Tetsuo's doing? Are you saying he has that kind of energy? The thing about Akira's power is, it exists within everyone from the start. But when that power is awakened inside, it is important to wisely choose how to use it. Your friend has already made his choice. Tsunami is proud to present one of the greatest animated films of all time, fully restored. Stop this, Tetsuo! Stop it now! The landmark classic, Akira. Next Saturday night at midnight, Neo Tokyo is about to explode. Part of a month of movies. Maybe we weren't meant to meddle with that ultimate power. You mean the power of a god? Only Tsunami. On Adult Swim. That first time I watched the Pioneer Genion dub, I was like, this is weird. But 
I ended up like really liking that dub a lot more. And I, I, I've, I I've watched just, it. Not to interrupt you, but I, I don't think there's any question like that is the superior dub. I, I was just trying to accentuate like I still have a soft spot for the streamlined dub, even though right. I know the pioneer dub is better. There, Derek, the streamlined dub is like, yours is superior. <laughs> I will avenge you! Streamline! Basically, basically, the streamlined dub is me and uh, me and Darius Guardians of the Galaxy and the Pioneers Justice Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, yeah. No one wants that old streamlined dub. <laughs> yeah. No, I, uh, I got the streamlined dub from Derek on the ultra cool 10 box set. That he gave me just because you no longer no, need that's, it. That's that's the Pioneer dub. Is it the Pioneer? Yeah. That's no, the I, I said Streamlight, but it was the Pioneer dub. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, I got confused. And I had seen the Pioneer dub before because I watched it on Sci-Fi like Justin. But I saw it first on video cassette, and it did bring back old memories because I hadn't seen the Streamlight one in a long time, and I'd forgotten that like the quote-unquote kids, you know, were kids. They just looked old, and like you know, I, you know, I forgot about the whole like thing where they were just like you know old little midget people and i was used to the, like the whole pioneer thing whereas like you know like justice said you know, it's already begun it's like yeah that's what they sound like and then like you know going back and revisiting like the old streamlined one i was like oh yeah there was a lot of choices and of course it is the pretty much the home of the trope of you know canada tetsuo yeah. you know yeah, that, the, yeah. that's that is the streamline though like where it's like that's that's you know that that's one of those things where you kind of miss you know i mean obviously the pioneer dub is superior right but but there there is that sentimentality to you know you want to hear them kind of go like canada tetsuo you know <laughs> and, and, and kind of go crazy with it and everything like that the the other thing i guess that i'd like to bring up is for me, I think the Pioneer dub is special to me because that's the first time I saw this film theatrically. Like, oh, like okay. that, because, uh, you know, around 2000 was when I really got into anime. You know, I started watching Dragon Ball Z. I started watching Digimon on fucking Fox and Pokemon and all this other fucking crap. And we've talked about it before, right? Like, Like, I went to see you know, the Pokemon movie and, and like any chance I got to see something theatrically, I would take it because it wasn't, it didn't happen too often, you know? So by that point, I'm pretty sure I had seen Digimon the movie in the theater. So I had already heard Ty in a theater. Last week, on the same night, we tried to abduct the experimental subject called number 26. A boy who was in an accident on Old City Highway was brought to the lab. But now he's their new subject for human experimentation. But we have no choice but to grasp that power. Grasp that power and learn to control it. And if this situation gets out of hand, that needs to be terminated. We're here to take you back with us. There's no escape. It was a dream that I saw. The city started to crumble apart, covered by a big shadow. Lots of people died. 
happened to me in Akira again. When would it happen? Do you know when? Digimon the movie and then of course like you're you know you're making jokes about it but it's like Vash the Stampede or Golden Boy versus you know Kai from Digimon you know it's like one of those things where you're like oh dude like yeah that's you know like cool all right like I get this and everything and and like that's you know and 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 kind of like that's kind of almost the birth of blue cupcakes you know this is like the great granddaddy of blue cupcakes you know because you're like sitting there going dude like like when it's funny to me because, and I don't know if you guys agree, disagree, or what, but, like, I, I don't know that Akira's ever been, like, my favorite movie in the whole universe, but, like, I I really, really love, like, the first 30 minutes of the biker shit, and I really, really right. like the, I really, really like the last, maybe, 40 minutes of, like, the Kaneda Tetsuo, but, like, the mid part of it is, like, often, no matter what version it is, where... I, my attention kind of wanes and shifts. And I think part of that is like, I can pinpoint when blue cupcakes show up in this movie. It's the scene where Tetsuo is in the goddamn bed and he's trying to like drink water and shit. And the little kids come to fuck with him. Only if you've never read the manga, you have no fucking context. You don't know the little kids are fucking with them, right? So all you know is there's all this weird shit going on where there's this parade of this tiny little bear, this tiny little rabbit, and this tiny little fucking car, and they're like, on the fucking bed, and then he tries to pick them up with his hands, and then they're not in his hands, and then all of a sudden, all this shit, like, turns into the bear, and there's fucking milk all over the fucking teddy bear, and all this crazy shit's going on. Like, that's fucking hardcore fucking blue cupcakes right and you know what the 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 ultimate reason why that is blue cupcakes is because that doesn't make any sense like and it's not it doesn't it's not it's not in the manga and it doesn't like if you like basically when i say i'm super enlightened because i've read the manga it's not because i'm trying to sound like smart or anything it's just (laughs) it makes me feel like i understand it better and i can say this with complete authority the reason why some shit happens in the film, the reason why Takashi, when he freaks out, when that guy gets mowed down like Bonnie and fucking Clyde in the first five minutes of the movie, and he screams, and then the water tower comes crashing down and everything, it's like, that makes sense now. 
Because you're like, dude, he's psionic. He lost his fucking shit because he saw this guy, this friend of his, trying to help him out, break out of the fucking nursery, and take him back to the resistance, right? And then he used his psionic powers in an emotional outburst, which made the water tower fall down, right? Like, and I'm not a genius. Like, I'm just putting that together because I read the manga and I watched this film like a gabillion times, right? But there's nothing with psionic powers that can fucking explain why uh, the the bear and the car and the fucking <laughs> bunny rabbit are little and they're dancing on the fucking bed and they disappear in Tetsuo's fucking hand. There's nothing that fucking explains that. And that is why this is Blue Cupcakes Month Strikes Back because that's total Blue Cupcakes. And, like, from there, like, it's like that's why, like, shit goes kind of off kilter because you're like, what the fuck is going on? Like, I mean, he's, like, tripping balls, and it's like he's tripping balls because of the power and his headache, and, like, I can try to rationalize things that I understand from the manga, but there, there, there's no there's no explanation on on why that is. It's just weird. It's just because it's weird. Like, uh, uh, Derek, you want a story real quick? Yeah. When I watched the Streamline version, it was my friend who who had a copy, and he was super huge into anime. He was like, he loved like, you know, Lom, a whole bunch of shit. He like loved a lot of anime. And he was like, you got to watch Akira, man. I'm like, yeah, I heard about it. I want to watch it. And like, you know, I actually heard about it on Entertainment Tonight of all places. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> right. good old Mary Hart. Yeah, right. John Tesh was trying to hook you up with the, the wonders of Tetsuo, like dodging fucking laser blasts and, and, and blowing up fucking. It, it was like a five-second bumper. They're like, like the, the the anime movie that's like taking over the world, Akira. And I'm like, oh, I want to watch that. So I go to his place, and we were like, God, we were like 15, 16. So, of course, we were drinking uh, alcohol. And, you know, he pops in the VHS. We're drinking, like, beer. And movie's good and stuff. And, like, you know, we're getting a little buzzed. But we're still able to make sense of everything and everything. And that scene comes up. And, like, right when it stops... My friend looks at me and goes, oh, shit, I forgot. And I'm like, what? And he just points at the TV and he goes, milk bears. <laughs> <laughs> I I think for me, the scene that made me like initially stop and go, okay, what's going on? It's after, you know, Tetsuo is beating up one of the clown gang guys. And, you know, Kande's like, ah. no, stop, Tetsuo, you want to kill him? And then he starts like going, oh, my head. And then his guts fall out. And then you see in real life, they're not there, and he's trying to put them back into himself. And I was like, yeah. wait, what's going <laughs> well, on? Well, see, and, and you know what's funny about that is, without context of the manga, that's super fucking blue cupcake-y and weird, because you, you, you can only interpret it, right? And you can interpret it to the best of your ability, right? Like, it, it sort of... You know, is he on drugs? <laughs> I feel like with the manga, I can definitively say his guts did not fall out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he felt like his guts fell out because of his migraine headaches, because of the power. And on top of that, you notice when that scene happens, there's all those quick cuts where you can barely see anything, but you see Akira. Yeah, and it even says like Akira. You know, and all this shit, right? And 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 it's yeah. like it's like well, in the film, it's just you know, it, it's a bunch of fucking dissected body parts that's like fucking with them, I guess, or whatever, right? But like in in the manga, it's like oh, it, this is this is a real little boy who's been cryogenically frozen because they're afraid he's gonna fucking nuke 
the freaking world with the psionic powers, you know? And, and like, I, I, it's, I, I don't know how to, you know, to me, it's like one of those things where like, now that I see that scene, like in context of the manga and, and having that knowledge, it's like, well, that doesn't, it's still blue cupcakey, but not as blue cupcakey as the bear, which I still can't explain. At least I can give you a rational kind of like explanation of what that represents and say it, you know, with, with a sense of authority and, and definitiveness, like the boy is Akira. Like the, the, the guts falling out is a representation of the, the confusion and pain and suffering he feels from this migraine and first being, or, you know, I don't know, not first, but, you know, dealing with the emergence of these, these powers, you know, it's, it's tantamount to, you know, I don't know, a scene in X-Men where, you know, a, a, a kid, you know, dis, you know, Cyclops discovers, oh, you know, if I take off, you know, if I have a headache or, you know, I look up at the ceiling in the bathroom and the frickin' my optic glass goes off, you know, it's going to bring the ceiling down on everybody. You know, it's like, that's, that's kind of, you know, along those lines. Yeah. Well, I mean, but yeah, but like, you know, in the movie, you know, it's like, it's a visual representation, but you wouldn't get that in a movie, you know, it's like when a guy's talking to somebody, you know, like, it's like a CIA movie or some bullshit, some random setup, and the guy's like, I'm just spilling my guts to you. They don't, like, cut to a scene of the guy's guts all over, like, you know, the pavement, you know. No, I, I, I agree completely that without any frame of reference or context, like, that, that is definitely a scene where you're like, what the fuck is going on? You know, like, and, and I mean, even to me, I think, you know, that for, for years, I think when I watch these films, I guess jumping ahead to, you know, Tetsuo's amorphous blob stuff, like, I don't see it as an amorphous blob anymore. Like, reading the manga, it's like he's a baby. Yeah. I mean literally yeah. like like he is turning into a new form of life. Like and and he's going to go off and start his own universe. Like like that makes a lot more I mean it, it, it think of it this way it's almost like Tetsuo is becoming that weird fucking baby from the end of 2001. <laughs> like you know, yeah. and it's like it's like that makes so much more sense than he's the star child than 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 the version of Akira that is kind of explained to the masses in South Park, where Cartman becomes this like blobby Akira thing, you know, trapper keeper, <laughs> where he's like, yeah, and it's like it's a perfect parody of it, like you know, it's totally funny, but like th that's you know, to me, I'm like, oh, okay, well, that's 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 your initial gut reaction to seeing the film with no context, but then seeing it with context, I'm kind of like, Oh, like I, I kind of get it now, you know, like that, that at least I can provide you some kind of reasonable facsimile of a explanation. If some, you know, if some dude who, who doesn't like anime, who only likes meat and potato superheroes, like I did, you know, 20, 25 years ago said to me, dude, explain this, bro. I could do it. Whereas I think with the teddy bear and shit, I'd be like, sorry, dude, I got nothing. I got nothing for you. You know, like that kind of thing. Yeah. That is kind of funny. You're talking about influences because the, the giant amorphous blob full of like veins and tentacles and, you know, swallowing on it in on itself and coming back up to like attack bad guys. It is kind of funny how in modern pop culture, especially in the West, that's usually played for laughs nowadays. Like I see it in a lot of comedy things like South Park or something, you know, it's like, 
it's scary, but it's also like, oh, that's so gross, you know, where they 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 didn't get the context either. They're like, that makes no sense in the movie. It's like, I, I don't get it. Whereas like, yeah, the, the manga does a better job of like it doesn't it doesn't really explain it like, you know, to the point of where you're getting beat over the head, but you're like, oh, okay, this is something big happening. This is not just, you know, my secondary mutation, all a beast, you know. <laughs> It's, I guess, to go back to Justin's kind of interest in Kauri, you know, like, that's that's an interesting divergence to bring up. Like, not only is she part of Tetsuo's harem, and, and you know, she does also die at the end of the manga, but it's yeah. in a very different fashion. You know, she's, she's basically, like Justin was saying, the mother hen to Tetsuo and Akira, and then eventually that swarmy guy who brought her into the whole Neo-Tokyo Empire in the first place, like, now now he's kind of turned on his master, essentially. It's like him and Akira are going to, to take out Tetsuo, and then she's running off to warn him, you know, Master Tetsuo, Master Tetsuo, and he shoots her in the back. And then, you know, in the film, it's this really horrible sequence where the a amorphous blob part of Tetsuo, it, it's interesting that, you know, he, he cannot control his body, and thus Kaori is enveloped in the the fleshy ooze <laughs> or whatever it is, and then, and then you know, it contracts and it squishes her to death. And you can see, like, the blood, and he even says, I can feel her pain in me, like, as that happens. Yet, Kaneda is also enveloped in it, but yet somehow, you know, I guess Kaneda's in that portion that he, he either can still control or maybe, you know, there's a more psychological aspect layer to it where he he's always felt inferior to Kaneda. So even as this nigh-omnipotent blob of power, he still can't crush Kaneda. Like, I don't know, you know, there's, there's that, stuff like that. That's kind of the whole... To me, like that's the whole crux of the story, and you kind of get that through the flashbacks in the film and the manga. It's like basically Tetsuo and Kaneda, they had like this kind of they have this really nice friendship because they're both like the new kid at the orphanage or whatever. Tetsuo gets beat up, and in the manga, they take his gun to model and smash it, and then you know. Connie does kind of like taking up for him. He's like, "Oh, you're here. You're you're new too. So am I." And you know, that's the beginning of their their friendship. It comes from this really nice place of like Connie to taking up for someone who's new, and it's not you know he's not viewing him as weak or anything. But then when it, when they become teenagers, and I you know it's because they're teenagers and you know hormones and everything, that all becomes twisted. And you know they're they're now part of this biker gang and kind of as a leader and they're doing like all these pills and things. And we see in the very beginning, Tetsuo is kind of lagging behind. He's not like, you know, keeping pace with them. And he's kind of, he feels like he's being overshadowed by Kanida and the rest of the game too, but mostly Kanida. And, you know, from whence their friendship began from this really sweet, place now it's kind of at least in Tetsuo's mind it's kind of become twisted and he's very resentful of his friend and he kind of you know once he gets the power and the taste for it you know well, I think he, that's why I think that's why he takes over the clown game 
in the manga. Like he, you know, basically Tetsuo wants to be his own leader. Like Tetsuo is Starscream. Like he wants, he wants to be in control. He wants to cr- call the shots. He wants his own lackeys. Like he wants to be his own man. He doesn't want to be, you know, Tetsuo doesn't want to take orders and, you know, be in kind of the shadow. And I think that's like, that's where a lot of the drama in both the manga and the film come from. Well, I mean, it is like that thing, you know, you see in like a lot of stories, uh, Kaneda still does have, you know, a fondness for Tetsuo in the manga. He's not like, you know, I mean, early on, that totally changes later on. You know, Tetsuo does have those reservations and self-doubt. But Kaneda, even though he does have that fondness, he is patronizing, you know, sometimes. He is like, you know, I wouldn't say a, like so much a dick to Tetsuo, but like, you know, that is just like weird, tough love kind of stuff, you know? It's like, you know, he's like, like you said, he's, he's, he's lagging behind. And like, like you said, being a teenager, you know, or late teenager, like Kaneda has to protect his position because he has progressed as like, you know, a important member of the gang, you know, and he's like, he's big stuff. He's big time, you know, and Tetsuo is not big time anymore. And, you know, that makes Tetsuo so much more angrier because, you know, he feels like in his head, Kaneda's betraying him. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the moment everything starts to change, at least in the manga, is book three. That's where Tetsuo is beating the clown biker guy and he wants to kill him. Like, Tetsuo flat out tells Kaneda he doesn't take orders from him anymore. Yeah. Like, that's that's the moment where their friendship, like, is no longer a friendship anymore, basically. That's where they start to, like, go apart and Tetsuo gets his powers. And then Kaneda, basically Kaneda kind of goes on, like, the hero's journey, I guess. You know, Derek was kind of talking about this earlier in regards to, like, his girlfriend, the nurse who's pregnant. Basically, Kaneda at the very beginning, he's just like a scummy street punk. And that's kind of how I take him. You know, it's like he's he's not the hero. He's not even an, an anti-hero. He's just kind of this scummy guy that if you saw, you know, walking down the street, like you would want to, you know, avoid him you know, basically, <laughs> call the he, cops. <laughs> he just wants yeah. to go to Tashi Station to pick up some power converters, knock up his nurse girlfriend, and then yeah. get some drugs out of the deal. Yeah, and what I thought was really interesting in the manga is the, I guess the evolution of Kanida and Kay's friendship, because you know he kind of attaches himself to her because he thinks you know he thinks she's hot and he wants to bang her, right? But then. They go through this, you know, crazy, wacky series of adventures, and you know, eventually, like, they kind of form this friendship. And there's a one part where, like, I think, I think it was like after the blast, the initial blast when Akira returned. It's like Kanida is missing, right? Like when he returns. Kay is genuinely happy to see him, and I think that's the moment when she kind of, like, got over him being kind of a scummy guy, and she was like, oh, you know, he's not so scummy anymore. We've been, you know, doing a resistance thing. Like, you know, we've been saving each other lives, and he's not such a scummy guy anymore. Like, she was genuinely happy to see him, and, you know, and eventually they do kind of share a little moment where they kiss. And then, and one of the differences I wanted to ask Derek about is like the movie ends with, you know, the, you know, because it has already begun and they're like, they're in that little vortex thing. But the manga goes a step further. It's like 
the last book is Kanida K and the, his remaining forces. Like they drive off the UN group who's like giving them aid and everything, and they're just like basically, you know, this is our place. Like this is the Akira Empire, and we're not gonna, you know, we're our own autonomous country, and we don't want any help from you. And I was like, I wonder this why is that was. Town. <laughs> I I kind of wonder why that wasn't in the movie, it, or is it not in the movie because they didn't want to do that, or or because it wasn't written yet. I feel like, I mean, I, I don't know the timeline of every issue, but you know the other thing that feels interesting is the the only reason why that's in the manga is because you have those cutscenes to the Navy fleet and the right. U.S. and that group right. of scientists that dubs him, it dubs Akira, you know, Juvenile A. You know, mm-hmm, yeah. like, and it's like, it's like that's, <laughs> it, I mean, you, you can either argue it one of two ways. You can say, oh, you know, maybe what you're suggesting is right. You know, maybe that wasn't even written yet in the manga when they were doing the film. It's highly likely, you know, that, that, that could be a possibility, right? Like maybe they didn't get to that point in the manga by the time he was working on the film, or maybe they had, he hadn't completed it yet. And that that's almost its own whole subplot that is excised from the movie. It's kind of you, you yeah. know what it reminds me of is which I don't exactly have the highest opinion of this subplot, but you know how Lady Miyako is number nineteen, and it, this is the character from the manga who has like the the shades, and she's literally yeah. the old lady and has the big fro <laughs> hair and all that yeah. other stuff, and then she has her own group of disciples who are young kids, mostly girls, who are not as powerful or as wrinkled as Takashi, Masaru, and Kyoko. And they also, you know, it's part of that power play. You're talking about Nezu and how he had Akira at one point and 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 at some point Akira is is held by those girls and they kind of float around and do things. And at one point Takashi has to kill one of those girls because he's like helping the colonel and they're trying to get Akira back and all this other stuff. Like those girls are almost like to me, um, I'm trying to make the right analogy. Uh, who the hell is, um, I always call him like the carnage of death note. Who's the, the, is it, is it, is it N L I I'm trying to no L is L is, L is the bad guy, right? You're thinking of M like Mello. Oh, Mello, Mello, yes. Like, because 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 L is the real guy, and then they yeah. go to M, right? Which is yep. Mello for the next half of Death Note. And yeah. I was always kind of like super disappointed because, like, to <laughs> yeah. me, L is like the real character, right? He's the yeah. guy. He's he's Kira's opposite. It Batman to his Joker, you know, uh, uh, freaking, you know, I don't know. For in in my cheesy analogy, you know, Venom to his Spider Man, whatever, right? But then <laughs> it's like, Red's oh, goal, yeah, and it's like, wait, we gotta extend Spider Man for another twenty five episodes to make fifty episodes of this this anime, and it's like, well, who do we have other than Venom? Well, let's bring in Carnage for another twenty five episodes, <laughs> and you're like, oh man, you're not that cool, like like this. Is not cool, and I feel like like those girls are like the mellows of that manga, <laughs> where it's like th- that subplot doesn't yeah. didn't really hold my interest all that much. But but I, like I find it. it I find it leads to like really interesting stuff because I, mm-hmm. it's it's almost like Takashi kills that one girl, and it's almost like he's punished <sighs> because Nezu tries to shoot Akira in the head, and then ends up shooting Takashi in the head. Yeah. 
And then, and then it, that like totally is divergent. And it's, it's almost like at the end of the film version, this is the point where it, it really diverges where, you know, Takashi gets shot in the head. Uh, Akira does another fucking meltdown, you know, and that's where Neo Tokyo becomes uh, this fist of the North Star wasteland and all that other kind of stuff. And it's totally, I don't know, like, like that's, it's kind of weird because I never thought of Takashi as a bad person, even when he kills that girl, you know, but it's, it's almost like, it's like this weird karmic justice or something, which I, I don't even know that I agree with it, but it's like, it's, it's, it's such a weird thing. And, and, and I, I don't want to miss anything, you know, cause I want to comment on some of the things that you guys have said, but I want to go back to the influences and stuff. And like, one of the things I wanted to bring up was things that this has influenced. And you're talking about kind of the relationship between Kaneda and Tetsuo and, and the, the, the notion that Tetsuo is, you know, ha- has this jealousy and wants to be his own man and be in charge and everything. And, you know, along with some visuals, like those little hover cars and everything that are in this film, I feel like that, because all I can think of is Kamen Rider Gaim. Like, I feel like Kamen Rider Gaim is heavily influenced by Akira. Like, mm. there's the there's the little hover cars, and, like, there's that scene where, you know, you've got Yidrezel, and they have their own little hover cars, and Michi is fighting them in the sewers. It's just like when Kay and Kaneda are in the sewers, and they've all got those hover cars, and they're doing all this stuff and shooting the guys out of the hover cars, and they crash and explode and all that other stuff. And then on a more deeper level... You know, you've got, you've, you've got Michi and you've, you've got, um, I'm going to get all confused now because I've got all the K names. Uh, uh, just, just call them Melon Melon Arms. (laughs) No, no, but you've got Kota, you know, and, and like, being, being being like Kaneda, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, he's not, I, I think Kota is a much nicer human being at the outset than Kaneda is, but the idea that, Kota still goes on this heroic journey. He he maybe is a little more naive about Michi, and and he probably doesn't ride Michi as hard, you know, as as Kaneda does Tetsuo. But the notion that there there is this level of kind of jealousy and and this power struggle and and the yeah, notion that that he you know basically I mean you know let's be honest like everybody wants to pull out their dicks and measure them you know what I mean like they they both have that kind of teenage rivalry, you know, keep keeping up with the Joneses kind of situation. Everybody loves Coda. Coda doesn't even know that my like wants his Johnson and like he's right. like I want my to want my Johnson. I want to be the cool like beat right. writer and it's right. just you not know, working for him. Yeah. He he wants to, you know, he if if Michi had his way, you know, he would want to be you know, in charge basically, just like Kaneda. Or just like uh, Tetsuo, you know, like, like, so, so you've got, you know, I, I, I just feel like I, I can see those, those influences and parallels. And I, I just kind of wanted to voice it, you know, before it sort of, you know, left my immediate train of thought and everything. And and, and, and on a deeper note, like Michi is also tempted by supreme power. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he, he wants, he wants the, the God Loxy to basically rule the world. And he'll make everything better. He'll, I mean, I mean in, in, yeah. in some ways, it's it's kind of an inverse of what happens because you know Tetsuo oh, yeah, does yeah. does get absorbed by Akira and goes off to start his Big Bang, and he's like, "I am Tetsuo" and all that stuff. You know, Michi does not do that. 
No. He stays <laughs> earthbound, but Coda kind of does become a, a, a god level, you know, uh, Akira level powered individual, you know, like so. Yeah. So in some sense, it's almost like, uh, you know, Gaim is like, what if Kaneda became, yeah. you know, a, 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 an Akira level powered person, you know, like kind of thing. But I, I mean, you know, there, there's, and, and, and in some ways, you know, the Colonel is a lot like, um, uh, Takatora, you know, like, yeah. like the, the guy who's burdening, you know, bears the burden of, of all this knowledge and he's trying to fight the impending doom, but he can't, you know, like those kind of things. So. He thinks he's doing what's right as well as he can, but it's not, Right. <laughs> you know, I, I had a better appreciation for the Colonel once I read the manga because in the film, I just kind of saw him as just the opposition. I mean, I know he's trying to maintain law and order and he'll go as far as, you know, removing the council and, and taking power himself. But I kind of was never really on his side, I guess, in the film. But having read the manga, I have a better, much better appreciation for that character. Well, in the, in, the, in the streamline one, he is kind of ham-fisted in his like voiceover. I think. I think. I don't know. No, no, I can, I can see that. I was just going to comment on what a douchebag I think Nezu is. I mean, Nezu, <laughs> Nezu is a politician through and through. Yep. You know, like Nezu is part of the same council that the colonel gets chastised by. But yet he's actually actively funding the resistance that's trying to topple the very council that he's a part of. Like he's such a douche. You know, like, like, and it's like, I, I don't know that you necessarily get that context unless you either watch the anime like a billion times or like we've been saying, you read this manga and you feel like, you know, wholly enlightened with the additional nuggets of information that you get. But even Lady Miyako, she calls him, what does she call him? Like little worm or little little rat or something i forget yeah. i forget what she refers to him as but like it's 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 something derogatory but yet very very apropos of of who he is as a person you know like like that he's just this little infestation but not you know it's useful but you you also at some point will have to exterminate him you know from the yeah. the whole yeah. scenario He's a little cog in a machine, and he can replace it easily, yeah. I mean, one, one of the things I thought was weird is there there is a video on YouTube where they try to give you, like, you know, one of these bite-sized, here are the differences between, you know, the manga and the film. You know, and they, I actually they, watched that. <laughs> yeah, they, they go through the whole thing. You know, the one thing that I kind of took issue with, like, after having examined this in detail, is they bring up how, uh, I guess what they're trying to say is Lady Miyako is in the anime. But, like, I don't think so like like one they say oh and the dog you know incorrectly gave uh, lady miyako a man's voice but i'm like number one if you listen to the japanese audio that that dude is a man like with the fro <laughs> and all that other stuff and then on top of that you know that guy is is just supposed to be a priest that's worshiping akira with a bunch of other kind of religious zealots he does not have the 19 on his hand. I mean, I yeah. think it's just a similar visual that, you know, yeah. basically was appropriated and became carried over to the manga, yeah, yeah. but I don't think that those were supposed to be the same characters. And in fact, if you watch the film, the, the sequence where Tetsuo is leading all those people across the bridge and they're fighting with the soldiers and everything, at one point, like, 
the bridge, he lifts it up and it becomes cracked and all this other stuff. And all the people fall into either, you know, the, the, the ocean below or they get, you know, banged up on the bridge and the, the rubble and everything. And that religious priest or whatever is among the many people who, you know, scream falling into the, the wreckage, you know? So like, yeah, to me, I'm like, well, casualty, yeah. That, yeah, that guy's fucking dead, you know, like, and, 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 and he's not any psionically powered person that's going to give Tetsu any better understanding of his situation. Whereas in the manga, she's like, you know, she's like fucking Yoda or something, you know, like she's, <laughs> she's, she's the one who is, is a, of a series of numbers that came before those little kids, you know, before Takashi and Masaru and Kyoko. And, and, and she's almost like, you know, in some ways like the anti-Colonel, you know, like she's, Mm. She's she's kind of like, you know, yeah. about, you know, uh, uh, it, it's not so much that she's about, you know, fighting per se, even though she's kind of in her own way aligned with this resistance. Right. But she, you know, she seems to be when they get into that post apocalyptic Fist of the North Star era of, of the manga, like she's the one who basically is is using the powers to heal people and. And, you know, give them food that's not poisoned. Whereas I think, you know, Tetsuo, you know, his empire with Akira, like, yes, they occasionally heal somebody as a big dog and pony show, like one of these kind of, I don't know, these kind of religious shows, you know, where where they, they would refer to them as like, you know, snake oil salesmen, where it's like, you know, praise Jesus, he's he's alive, or what, you know, that that kind of shit that they're doing in the middle of this dystopian you know, scenario. And then on top of that, all the soup and stuff that they feed these, these, you know, hungry, you know, refugees is usually laced with that same drug that was involved in that orgy where like a lot of these people, you know, they try to make new, I guess, psionic warriors for themselves. But a lot of them just end up getting their heads popped or they get sick and die. I know earlier, Derek, you were commenting on Kaori and uh, Ki has also been brought up a couple of times. I mean, in the movie, they definitely have arcs. They they, they are definitely characters. They they are catalysts in some events. But I felt in the manga, they they really get fleshed out a lot better. You you feel really bad about Kaori and like Ki is like fucking pretty, a pretty fucking badass character. <laughs> It's weird. I've I've probably pronounced it a bunch of different ways, but I I know just to keep things straight with what me and Justin have been saying, we're talking about calorie and K. But but I, yeah. I I know at some point probably even in my synopsis I think I called her Kaori because that's that's kind of how it's spelled. But I know I know they 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 call her Kaori in most of the decent dubs, so that's probably the way you're supposed to say it. So I, I read but, the 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 manga parts. Later, I watched the movie, so that I no, 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 yeah, 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 no, no, no. I, I, and I know even like I, I noticed when I was writing synopses, you know, in in the epic manga, you know, it, it actually spells her name K A Y K, you know, and then yeah. they say K, but then I think in in when in some some romanizations they spell it K E I, you know, but it's still yeah. K, you know. So, but yeah, I mean, and and I'm not I'm not trying to like call you out or anything like that. I'm just saying like I know I've done the same thing a lot where I, you know, sometimes I probably should say uh, Masaru instead of Masaru, but you know, I'm just I, I sometimes I accentuate the wrong 
vowels and stuff like that. But you know, I, 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 Derek, I always have you on DJ Sahara. Yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Like I, I'm, I'm not throwing any stones. I'm just I'm just pointing out that that there I I have self corrected even within this podcast myself. So you know, I'm just kind of pointing that out. I like how in the manga K has so much more to do because there's yeah. this big chunk of the manga where everyone believes Kaneda is dead and not only that but and they don't really go into this into the film very much just kind of tangentially but in the manga they say that K is a medium and the three kids can act through her and in the film we see Kyoko kind of I always assumed in the film Kyoko was just possessing Kay yeah, and yeah. her like that. But in the manga, they pretty much say that she's a medium and they can work through her. And, I mean, they, they do a lot of crazy stuff with Kay that way. I mean, she even goes up to – she goes up to the soul satellite and starts firing it. I was just like, whoa, like she she has so much more to do in the manga, and I kind of I kind of appreciated that. Well, to to put it in terms that all these newfangled kids that listen to our podcast will understand, if if Lady Miyako is the Yoda of Akira, K is the Ray of Akira. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, hashtag feminism. No. <laughs> hashtag feminism. We got this. We're strong women. Hashtag feminism. Hashtag feminism. Hashtag feminism. But no, but like that—that is—that is really refreshing because Cowrie, like, like I said, she's she's a catalytic part near the end of the movie. You know, like you were saying when she gets enveloped and stuff. But like, especially like you know, the streamline dub is like, I just kind of got the idea that like it was she was this girl Tetsuo wants, and 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 she's she's there and. Hey, and in the manga, like you know, she does have this arc. You know, she's this survivor of this orgy and you know she takes care of akira you know the spine and eyeballs <laughs> from the movie we're, we're, talking, about, we're talking about cowrie now cowrie yeah i can't i keep saying cowrie sorry cowrie and like you know like she she you know like she does stuff she actually has like you know interactions and stuff and like uh, other than other than getting sort of horribly victimized and then squished in a fleshy pound of hamburger like, yeah, exactly. In, in, the, yeah. in the anime, it's weird. Like, I, I, I mean, you feel horribly bad for her in both scenarios. Yes, it's, yes, it's, yeah. it's 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 interesting because it's like the author had the same place he was heading towards, or the same he wanted to garner the same, evoke the same emotions out of you. She but she but was they, going to a bad end, yeah. yeah. But 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 they, they you know they just happened in completely different ways, you know, like like and 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 you know the, I that that's one of those things where that's why I thought this was so worth exploring, you know, because it's like it's hard to discuss this unless somebody's actually like sat down and looked at both versions, because sometimes you feel like you're. You know, you're talking to a wall or like something where you're like, or, or, or a canyon or something where it's like, I've read the manga, 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 you know, and there's nobody to, to, to talk back with about it, you know? Yeah. And like, like you said, like, you know, in the, in the anime, like, you know, she gets squished and like, you know, he does have that line of like, you know, she's a part of me. I feel her. And like, okay, that's, that's okay. You know, that's cool. But like, you know, in the manga, 
there's even a point where Tetsuo tries to resurrect her with his powers and it's just not working right and he just lets her die. And it's like, oh. Well, I think, I think, yeah. I think in that sense, like, it's, it's also the same thing because she's an example of his weakness. Like, when, when Tetsuo takes Kaneda's bike and can't drive it right, and, and another thing is, is if you don't read the manga, you have no context for what Tetsuo's done and how stupid it is, or how brazen it is, maybe is the best way to put it, because not only does he steal Kaneda's bike, he drives right past the clown's fucking headquarters. That bowling alley is clearly in the manga, is where the clowns are headquartered. That's where Joker is. Like, yeah. that's where the clowns live, basically. He drives Kaneda's bike with Kaori, Kaori, see, I do it myself, right? But right past their headquarters. Like, what does he expect is going to happen? You know what <laughs> right. I mean? And then when they come out, they fucking knock her on her ass they 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 basically have him pinned to the ground and you know they rip off her shirt they punch her in the fucking face they they it's almost like she's not even good enough to rape and they throw her on the asphalt you know and he's like what are you going to do and 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 Tetsuo is about as helpless as Rick in the Walking Dead when Negan walks up with his fucking bat you know like like and 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 the aftermath is yeah Kaneda comes in does the Batman bike thing that's appropriated in Mask of the Phantasm, except with a kick instead of a punch, and 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 they drive off, you know, those clowns, and then and then that's where you know, Justin's talking about you know Tetsuo's going to beat the shit out of that one guy and kill him, right? And I I think the point with that scene is like, Kauri even comes up and wants to be like Tetsuo, it's okay, like it's not your fault, like you know she still has a connection to him and doesn't want him to feel, you know, impotent or, or weak Victimized. or whatever. Right. But, but just her face, her face, like that just drives him crazy. Cause that's like, it's like a textbook. Like, look, she's got no shirt. They had to put a fucking jacket on her and she's, her face is all mashed up. Like, that's why he flips out and is like, shut up. I don't want to look at you. You're, you're, you're a living, breathing example of my impotence, you know, like, or my, you know, you know, like, and, and it's just like one of those things where like that just drives him fucking crazy, you know, like that's, that that's probably why he has the little, you know, migraine meltdown in the middle of all that too, you know, like where it's just, it's just more than he can physically bear, you know? It was, it, it basically, it was a domino effect. He went from trying to be cool to failing to defend himself, to having someone that he had some kind of feelings for get horribly assaulted, and he did nothing, and he couldn't do anything. Not, not that he did nothing. He he could not do anything. Like, like yeah. he, you know, there wasn't anything he could do, you know? Like, and yeah. that's, I mean, that, that, that that's kind of the whole, his whole arc, you know? He, he He's always, he's always... He's not even second best. He he's he's an afterthought. You know, he's like he, he's not like the second in command. He's not Kaneda's second in command. He's Kaneda's stupid little friend. You know, that's how he sees himself, especially. You know, and then and then that leads to you know what what happens in the manga and in the film. There, like this great sense of overcompensation. You know, like the the you know it's like what, what did he need to have an orgy with three girls? 
like really no like, but, it, but it made him feel made him feel good but, a little but, bit there was but, a part of yeah that, but that's that's the that. whole point there's like this this kind of did he need to steal Kaneda's bike does he still like in the film does he still need Kaneda's bike like did he have to kill Yamagata it's weird in the film he kills Yamagata off camera and then the next time you see Kai like he's crying about it, you know, and and you can tell that's what happened. But then in the manga, it's like it's straight up like you see him do it, you know, like yeah, it, he does it in front of Kaneda. Like they go to a warehouse and they have this big fight, and Kaneda's gonna like I I forget he doesn't have the laser at that point. I think he has like a magnum or something, like some some gun, a handgun or something like that, and he's trying to like shoot Tetsuo with yeah. it and everything. Like and 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 so like you've got those those kind of sequences where you're like, oh geez, man, it's like he's he's so kind of jealous and 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 feels you know so inadequate that the the, the only way he can you know erase that inadequacy is to like actually like murder his friends, you know, like like it's it's kind of a weird thing. He, he, he... He's almost showing off to no one but himself. Well, and and that's that's one of those things where where you you start to wonder because there there is the descriptions and context of you know Kaneda reaches out to Tetsuo and his blobby baby mass and and kind of keys in on what's left of Tetsuo's humanity and blah 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 blah. But then it kind of goes back to that thing where you know how abhorrent. I found the whole, you know, Kaneda knocking up the nurse and she aborts the kid and all that stuff. It's like him killing Yamagata is almost the same thing for Tetsuo in the manga for me. Where it's like, you go, well, how could you possibly find the humanity in a guy who did that? Like, like Yamagata is kind of like, you know, the the best parts of Flash Thompson. You know, like any anything that like you know, some something like me and Mike would say, like, oh, all the good parts of Flash Thompson, where he was like the coach and taught kids, and he was the war veteran, and 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 was Pete's good buddy in those scenarios. Like all those good parts is kind of how I see Yamagata. He's a good soldier, yeah. Or, or like you know, you know, I I know not all of you guys are familiar, but like I'm thinking of Kuwabara from from Yu Yu Hakusho. Like, like they're, yeah, they're yeah, similar, yeah. you know, like, like th- this, this kind of, yeah, he's boisterous, he's loud, he's a little obnoxious, but deep down, he's got like this really good heart and he's, 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 he's loyal and steadfast and true and all this kind of stuff. And you're, and you're just like, man, like you, you know, it's like you killed the fucking Tucker on Enterprise, Tetsuo, like you just ripped the heart out of that you know, the, the capsules, you know, like, and it's, it's like one of those things where you're kind of like, wow, like how you're kind of like, how could there ever be any coming back from that? You know, like, like that's one of those things where, I mean, I guess, you know, at some point you, you look at it and go, oh, well, if Mitchie can come back from it, then I guess anybody can come back from it. But you know, like that's that, you know, th- those are some things that go through your head when you're reading the different versions and, and watching the film. Yeah. But, 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 but at least, you know, like, yeah, what's his name again? Melon arms or whatever. Takatora? Takatora. He did have a little bit of shade on him. Like, you could, like, see that he was being, like, you know, secretive and stuff. But, like, you know, like you said, that guy was, like, he he was just a pretty damn decent guy. And, like, you know, when Tetsuo, like, did that, it was just, like, ouch, damn. You're, like... But I I think, I think, I think what Justin's getting at, I kind of compared Takatora to to the Colonel, you know? The Colonel, yeah. and, And, like, that's... 
again, like, I mean, you could get into endless arguments. I mean, it, it, to me, it's kind of like having arguments over J. Jonah Jameson. You know, like, like you, you <laughs> sometimes know, he's good, sometimes he sucks. Yeah, yeah. Some some people are quick to point out what a douchebag he is, and other people like me, maybe you know, see see some of the you know good natured aspects of the character, and and think that you know when when he you know basically he's he's paying off people for spider slayers, like maybe that's a little too much, you know, and stuff like that. But you know, you you you're always gonna have like those those type of probably debates gray or gray areas with with the context of. Of you know, depending on what version you you, you know the, where you're looking at the manga or the film or whatever, but you know, I I think those are, you know, th- those are probably valid discussions to have. You know? Well, I, I know one thing that I really got out of the manga, and I, I've hit on this a few times. You know, with Kaneda and Tetsuo, it doesn't really matter as far as who's the hero, who's the bad guy. They are the main characters of this thing. I mean, you do have Kira; he is definitely a large part of it. You know, with Tetsuo, it's really weird because. In the anime, like you said, he does come off a bit whiny, especially in the Streamline version. He's not nearly as bad in the Pioneer one. But in this manga, it's like you don't empathize with him. You don't, like, really get his back a lot. But you're like, holy shit. I I, I could see how this person could fall down that quick. How they could go from this extreme to this extreme. Because he basically goes from being a piece of trash in his mind to being a god. And like, you know, in the, in the anime, I don't think you really get that transition as well. I think they did the best they could for two hours, but they have a lot more story they, they could delve into here. And you really do see like Tetsuo just get corrupted. And like I said, you know, it's, it's hard to empathize with the character because he does some horrible things. But like, I mean, is it kind of like just as a storytelling mechanic, how they portrayed him? Does it kind of make sense in your eyes? Like, you know, yeah, I mean, if you feel that shitty about yourself, if you're like that engrossed in jealousy and like, you know, self-loathing, if you get this power by some happenstance, would you become a monster? And I'm sure that's probably one of the reasons they did that with him. I think most of Tetsuo's impetus comes from that, that those teenage feelings, you know, that he, you know, he has Kaneda... They used to be really good friends, and now Kanida is kind of over him in a way. He's overshadowing him. And not only that, you know, they're, I mean, just imagine you're, you know, maybe you're back in high school and you had those moments where people were either picking on you or bullying you or were beating you up. And, you know, maybe you were, you know, awkward around girls and asking them out, and maybe you didn't have success with that. So just, just to just take that person and give them ultimate power and watch what happens like i think i think tetsuo is just kind of the you know the ultimate oppressed teenager's fantasy it's like he has all this power so he's gonna do whatever he wants you know he's gonna take over he's gonna you know make his own gang he's gonna like get a bunch of women's he's gonna do a bunch of drugs just whatever he wants he's gonna do it because now he has that power, and he can make anything he wants happen. That's that's kind of how I see it. Well, there's that there's that key exchange. Like you, you bring up the exchange where he basically beats up the clown guy and tells Kaneda, "I'm not taking orders from you anymore." But I think one of the other key exchanges in the film is when they're in the nursery, and Kaneda's basically like, "Hey, dude, I'm here to save you." 
And he's like, oh, you're here to save me. Well, I'm not going to need saving anymore, Connie. You know, and it's like the reason why he says that, I think in the Japanese version, you know, because it's interesting because like somebody like Kay probably doesn't call him Kaneda-chan or, you know, whatever. But at some point, they eventually do become really familiar and start saying that, right? But whereas I think Tetsuo says it in a derogatory way where it's like, hey, Kaneda-chan, you know, like, 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 fuck you, asshole. You know, like where it's not, it's not, it's supposed to be endearing, but it's not, you know, where he's, he's calling him by a nickname without permission to empower himself by demeaning the person that's actually just trying to help him, you know, or at least, you know, that, that's, that's the notion, you know. Yeah, he's he's not saying thank you, but I got this. He's saying shut up, I got this. Yeah, or or like you know, there's, it's like there there's gonna be no need for you to you know for you to got me anymore or whatever you know whatever however you wanna sort of phrase it right and and that's I you know it's it's weird like there's something I wanted to ask Justin about is and and we haven't really brought this up but I. I Talking about Joker and the clowns, I mean, you know, I I, kind of want to bring up Mike because he's always fond of talking about the whole rival fusion thing. And I think that's 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 an (laughs) aspect of this manga that, you know, never finds its way. Yeah, never finds its way into the film. I mean, Joker is obviously super famous because he's part of that. He's part of that cool bike scene that that like i was saying that's that first 30 minutes of the film that you're very very engaged in and he's got a cool visual he you know he's this big giant bald fat guy he's got the the clown makeup his name's the joker like if you're into american comics you know the joker is a name you're gonna recognize and then on top of that like him and kaneda have this kind of chicken you know, game of chicken with the bikes and Kaneda's the one who comes out on top and all this other kind of stuff. And, and so you're, you're already sort of invested in that. And, you know, what's interesting is on top of that, it's like Tetsuo kind of makes Joker his bitch, you know, in, in the, in the manga where he's basically now running the clowns. But then after the whole Neo Tokyo, you know, explosion dystopian thing, it's like pretty much Joker becomes like, I mean, him and Kai are kind of, you know, friends, or at least, you know, they're they're working together for the greater good. And then it's like him and, and when Kaneda finally comes back from freaking the Speed Force, for lack of a better term, <laughs> you know, like like that th- th- they become, you know, allies, and 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 that's why I bring up the whole. I mean, essentially, like like. It, it, you wouldn't know it by watching the film, Akira, but Joker and Kaneda are like the textbook fucking definition of rival fusion. Like, yeah. they were bitter fucking rivals in Neo-Tokyo, but post-apocalyptic Neo-Tokyo, they must work together to fucking fight Tetsuo. I mean, that they're, they're, they have no choice. You know, when McFarlane made some figures from Akira, one of the figures they made was Joker, and I never understood that until I read the manga because I was like, is Joker really that iconic from the film? Like I didn't – to me, he wasn't. But you know, having read the manga, I'm like, okay, okay, I get that now. I know why there's a, a Joker 
figure from McFarlane Toys because, you know, he in the manga, he's kind of the Vegeta. Like, they fight him, and then they team up, and he helps in whatever goal they're trying to accomplish, either taking back the, the kids or just flat out trying to kill Tetsuo. Like, he's there helping them. Yeah, maybe, like, somebody who's doing the toys was just like, you know, they were having, like, the Larry meeting, and it was like, being an independent toy company, it was like, oh, we need another figure for this line. And somebody's like, oh, we could do Joker. And they're like, he wasn't even in the movie that much. And like, so guys like, well, if you read the manga, he's actually rather important. And then they're like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know? Well, you know, what's interesting is that that line of figures, I think, does lean towards the manga, too, because you've got that. I, I you know, again, it's McFarlane, so I wouldn't exactly call it an action figure, but you've got that whole yeah. diorama <laughs> with Akira, you know, where the little kid and then he's sitting on the base where it's yeah. his throne and it's got, you know, Akira in what what I guess they refer to as Akira Red, you know, with the letters and, and all that other kind of stuff. He's got the big 28 behind him. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, I didn't buy that because I was just familiar with the film. I was like, and I, I remember like picking that toy up at KB and looking at it and I'm like, this isn't in the movie. In the movie, he's like body parts and you only see him for like a couple seconds and he's not... He's not ever on the throne or wearing this little, you know, kind of like mini cape or anything. So I wasn't familiar with it, so I didn't buy it. Like I've got I've got Kaneda and Tetsuo and that's it. And, you know, now, like I said, with Joker, having read the manga, I'm like, I get why they made that. But at the time, I, you know, I was just like, is this from like a deleted scene or something? Like I, I wasn't sure, you know, like I, like I, you know, I wasn't familiar with the manga at all. So I, I didn't get it. Yeah, actually that was going to be my avatar tonight. It was going to be him on his throne for the manga and it wouldn't download correctly. I think it was on like a site. I just wanted the helix from one of the issues. So it's a cool image. You, you know what I was going to ask was, uh, and I'm, I'm trying to remember cause I don't, I don't think I bought any of those Akira toys from McFarlane, but like, was there a version of Kaneda that you could actually use to ride on the bike, or were you just supposed to pose Kaneda next to the bike or something? I I don't I know don't if know. he could actually ride the bike. I just know I didn't buy the bike myself, but yeah, I don't I don't I don't know. Yeah, I know he came with the bike. I know it was a special set, but just like Justin, I don't know if he was like you said, Derek, it is McFarlane. I don't know if he's articulate enough to actually ride it. Yeah, that's that's why I called them figures, not action figures. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I I'm actually positive that Canada one cannot ride the bike, but I don't know. I don't know if they made like some kind of separate one that you could actually, you know, I don't know, stick on the bike or something like that. But I, I'm I'm sure like some Japanese company somewhere probably made a Canada that is actually on his I bike. I think so. I think there's like a maybe like a one twelfth version, like kind of like one of those MediaCom or. You know, not hot toys, but you know, kind of like that, where where there's like a bike and you can, you know, he's got the clothes, you know, full clothed, and you can put him on the bike and all that kind of stuff. Isn't it crazy that like if you're a fan of the movie or the manga, like how iconic Kaneda's bike actually is? Yeah, yeah, like I, you know, there's speaking of YouTube videos, I I know there's some YouTube video where somebody made a you know a working version of that bike and you know things like that, like you know. Obviously, like the jacket is pretty iconic too, but like the the bike itself, I think is is something that you know. As much as Tetsuo covets the bike, like the audience of this film probably is tet like Tetsuo like in that way, you know, where they see that bike and sort of covet it as well. Whether you want to own a a plastic toy or or build a a working real life model of the bike yourself, like there's there is that aspect where you 
you kind of prize and cherish and covet that, you know, Kaneda's bike. It looks like as far as the McFarlane toys go, there was a separate bike that you could pose alongside that Kaneda. And then there was a box set with Kaneda sitting on the bike already posed. Oh, okay. And that, that, oh, that was okay. a different scale, right? If I'm remembering yep, right. It looks like it. Okay. 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 I, I, I was wondering, but I couldn't remember for sure. All right. I, I, I was just going to say as like a technical guy, you guys know I love robots and, and vehicles and stuff. The Batmobile is always going to be my favorite, like, you know, superhero slash fantasy car. Love the, love the Batmobile. But honestly, Kaneda's bike, as far as iconic and like just really well-designed like vehicles, it would easily be in my top 10 sci-fi fantasy vehicles. It, it is a very cool, cool bike. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I hate to say this because we're having a very you know, adult conversation and we're talking about like, you know, nuances and everything like that. But that bike is a pussy getter. I'm just saying. Well, apparently it didn't really get uh, Kay's interest right away, but you know, by, by the end of it, by the end of it, she is, she is, uh, she is riding on the back of it. So yeah, it worked. It worked for the nurse, Derek. Yeah, it totally, it, worked it totally worked for the nurse, the poor nurse <laughs> who I feel totally sorry for, you know, she was all like, Kanida san. Yeah, I guess it's that own nurse's fault for falling for the, the, the super cool bike, I guess, now. <laughs> Speaking of the manga, you know, another, I, I, I just, you know, I'm, I'm doing this from memory, because I gotta be honest, like, I started taking notes, and, and kind of like Justin, when I was doing my reread, I think by the time I got to the ninth issue of the epic series there's 38 volumes by the way i was just like ah fuck this i just need to read it you know and and, and I, I, i'm not saying derek it only took eight years to make how dare you not remember every single facet Damn yeah <laughs> well but but you know while while things are on my mind another thing that i think of is maybe a uh not necessarily an influence on the manga but a influence in other mediums later on like I got the vibe, and I, I don't even know if this is even possible, but, like, because I'm like, I don't know who saw the Americanized version of this, and I never would have made this connection without Steve Olaf's colors, but you know how at the end when when Tetsuo is basically unable to contain his form and he, he starts spilling out and everything, but it seems like when he gets enough concentration, he can sort of reconstitute himself and when he does that he's basically almost like white as a sheet like in steve olaf's yeah. coloring yeah. like all i could think of is and and this is this is not the most one-to-one -one comparison but like i kept thinking of ghost go tanks Huh. You know, like, like, uh, that, the way... That'd be on Justin. I haven't seen him. Uh, what does Ghost Gotenks look like, you, Justin? You, you know, like, when when they do the fusion, you know, it's like it's like Goten and Trunks do the fusion, and then they're Gotenks and Super Saiyan Gotenks and all that other shit, right? But they have this attack. It's the Kamikaze Ghost attack, where they, they basically, oh, okay. you know, when they blow up, like, those balloon versions of the ghosts, and they, they're all energy forms, and all those ghosts, like, hover and, and commit suicide basically by exploding themselves it's a very humorous attack it doesn't really have anything to do with the 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 tone or context of akira the manga or the film but i was like thinking yeah. to me in the visual i kept looking at tetsuo going like why does this why does this feel 
familiar to me. And all I could think of was, oh, he kind of looks like, like, because he, he almost looks like a ghost, you know, Tetsuo, like, white as a sheet. And he kind of has that kind of Vegeta-ish haircut, you know. I, I was about to say, like, when, when, when Tetsuo does go into, like, his, like, not his final final form, but when, he, when he's still Tetsuo-ish, he does get Dragon Ball hair. He does. It gets spiky as shit. You know, I'm now I'm picturing like Tetsuo spinning out little Tetsuo ghosts to like try to like find Kanida and blow him up or something. <laughs> Spit out a bunch of universe building babies that you know, crush <laughs> girlfriends and poor nurses who aborted babies and whatever else was going on there. That that is an interesting thing though about Tetsuo is like we've mentioned many times about his amorphous blob form and like you know it does happen it's a thing. Giving context, it can be really scary and disturbing. But like I'm looking at Justin's avatar and it is like a thing that happened pretty regularly leading up to that. What a Tetsuo's like kind of I guess you would say trademarks is his left arm. You know, it's like metallic sometimes, robotic, and then you know it does have this like you know organic turn as he gets more power into his esper thing. That, that, I mean, I think that is actually creepier than, like, the giant amorphous blob, just like this... That, like, it, it's almost like it's not a part of him. It's like his arm is a different thing. You, you know what I thought was interesting is, like, they, like, rob Liefeld those arms because in the manga, it's the left arm and in the film, it's the right arm. And I was like, well, I wonder why they <laughs> did that. Right? I have, I have no idea. All I was going to say about it is... There's a a strange aspect to what happens to Tetsuo. Like, I, I don't know. Have you ever had, like, they, they, they always say the psychological reason for this is, like, you have, I don't know, great concerns in your life or qualms or whatever. But, like, I, I, have you ever had dreams where, like, things were happening to your body? Like, I've had dreams where, like, my teeth were falling out. Or, oh, like, I have that one or, all or, the time. Or, like, yeah. or, like I, I would have dreams where, you know, it's like, not to get too gross or whatever, but, like, imagine if you pull on your tooth and then all of a sudden it comes out. Well, I've had dreams where, like, it's more Akira-esque than that, where it's like, it's like I'm, I'm, I'm trying to somehow... I don't know. It's like it's like weird shit happens where like somehow I've eaten glass, but yet I need to remove it from my mouth, and then it, I start pulling out like strings of flesh, and I can't get rid of it all, and then it keeps unraveling, and my whole you know quote unquote teeth fall out like dentures and all this weird shit, and like you know when that's going on in 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 this dream, I, I can only relate and understand Tetsuo in terms of that. Like, I, I don't think I've ever seen the arm. I know what Tony's saying, that it's almost its own entity, its own life form. You know, the, the idea that the power is so massive, it, it, it needs to expand and engorge and take over its surroundings. And it doesn't really matter, you know, who's in its way or if it's a girlfriend or, you know, just some random dude or whatever, you know, that it, it kills on its path to expanding, you know, like, you know, and I suppose you could play with the metaphor of, you know, expansion and power and countries and yada, 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 but, you know, whatever. But, but I guess my thinking always was, I always took it as, you know, like my earliest viewings of the film where you're like, this is so blue cupcakey and how weird would it be if you couldn't control your arm you know what i mean and then your arm started you know peeling off into this massive blob of crap and it just had a mind of its own but yet 
it was still sort of a part of you too. You know, the the, the notion that like I can feel calorie in me, but I can't stop my my mass from expanding and crushing her to death. You know, like that that it's like that uh. that kind of surreal, dreamlike, nightmarish, you know, thing that was you know happening where you're kind of like I you know I, I you know I just kind of you know, think of things like that, where, you know, that that's the kind of thoughts I have. Derek, in, in regard to your dreams, can I quote Takashi for you? Weirdo. Yes, exactly, exactly, <laughs> yeah. You know, that yeah. that always kind of like, I never understood that when he's, you know, at the end of that sequence, he's like, weirdo. I was like, why did he call him a weirdo? Like, they were the ones, like, messing with his head. Well, you, you know what's, you know what's, like, I, I feel like I can't, like, like I told you, that's the most blue cupcake scene that I have a hard time explaining. The the only thing that I could offer up as, as a substantial no prize is, like, the way I took that scene is, they're playing with him. Like, they don't intend any harm, but yet mm -hmm. he steps on that glass. And once and, freaks and, and that freaks them out, like once there's actual harm resulting in playtime, it's kind of like imagine like three dogs come to play with a big dog, and then they accidentally move that big dog into like a bear trap. They never intended the big dog to get snapped up in the bear trap, but maybe it's just like a nervous reaction. You know, like, Takashi's kind of like, he's nervous from the blood. They didn't intend to do it. And then, and then, you know, the, the notion of, oh, you're, you know, weirdo. Like, why, why, why'd you, it's almost like they're blaming him for stepping on that glass. Like, you fucked up playing it. Yeah, like, that's, it, it's, it's kind of like if you're playing the game, don't, you know, stop hitting yourself. It's like a bully. He's sitting on top of you. He's making you slap yourself. And then, like, the person you're doing that to, they make a fist and they start punching themselves and laughing at you. You're like, what the fuck's going on? Yeah, I, I never understood why he called him a weirdo. And then, see, I've never watched the movie in Japanese, but I did watch a few scenes in Japanese. And in that scene, he doesn't say weirdo. He just calls him a jerk. Yeah, it's it, it, it's yeah. weird because cause you, you think of context. And it's like, I think in, in Japan, when, as another example, when Tetsuo falls over on the bike... And then he has to pick up his own bike in the, the bike chase, you know, with the clowns and everything. And then he's got to run the bike and sort of get back into the the, the race, Afraid. essentially, right? Yeah. Like, in... I, I'm trying to remember... I, I don't remember what he says in the streamlined dub. In the Pioneer dub, he's like, fuck! And he gets back on the bike, yeah. right? And in, yeah. in, in the Japanese, he says, kuso. Which, to a lot of people, is just pretty tame. I mean, maybe it's damn, maybe it's shit, but, like, it feels like fuck is, like, the, 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 the asswipe fan subber. You know what I mean? Like, 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 <laughs> like, it's super, super extreme for something that doesn't quite mean that. You know? Like, like, so, so, I, I don't know. I mean, I mean, there are, there are interpretations where I, I see what you're saying, where it's like, you know, jerk versus weirdo is, is, is too, different things but it's like what it's like one why is he a weirdo and why is he a jerk right those are the questions right <laughs> Either one makes sense, you know yeah. and it's kind of like yeah. it, it's almost like one of those things where you're like well you feel like well you guys are the fucking weirdos 
You know, you guys are the jerks. You made them step on the fucking yeah. glass, right? Like, but yet they're kind of projecting that onto him somehow. Like, I, I don't know. It's weird because you you start to wonder, like, you're like, Masaru, Masaru seems to have more of a sense of the potential in the film of what could possibly happen. Yet they talk about how Kyoko has these dreams and how she sees Akira getting released and she must have some notion of what Tetsuo is capable of. So you start to wonder, like, why? I mean, you know, the analogy of a big dog playing with three little dogs doesn't really work, right? Because cause it's like, well, one of those little dogs had a dream that the big dog was going to unleash a fucking Fenris fucking Ragnarok hellhound on the world? Like, why would you even start that then? You know, like, like I, I don't know. Like, that, the, stuff like that kind of, you know, that, that's why I, I sort of say it's hard for me to no-prize that moment because it does really seem blue cupcake to me. Well, I, I was kind of, like, thinking about this, like, while we were doing this project, you know, reading the manga and, like, you know, going back and, like, watching the films. Do you think when they were developing the film... They had taken some things from the manga that did seem kind of blue cupcakey without the resolution, like, you know, without the story. And they're like, oh, this is supposed to be weird. It's supposed to be fucking like, you know, surreal and trippy. And they went with that direction to make it more cinematically like, you know, interesting. Because, I mean, the animation is great. And those scenes, even if they don't make any fucking sense, you're like, well, that's that's the thing. That's really nicely animated. Like, do you think they like like. Akira's weird, and then when you read the manga, you're like, no, it's it's a it's a it's a story that has a beginning and an end, and it makes sense. The, the only reason why I would maybe counter you is because they're both done by the same guy. Like, I mean, maybe it's a deliberate choice by him. Like, I, I feel like he deliberately wanted to make a streamlined version of his manga for film and treated film like a different medium from manga, which is completely accurate, right? They are two... Hey, that, that, that's what OVAs are. Yeah, basically. they, they yeah. are two different mediums. You know, he didn't literally... You know, he, he did not, you know, panel for panel, you know, Zack Snyder Watchmen it. You know what I mean? Like, he did not just literally replicate what he did in the manga on film, right? Because he knew it'd be like, you know, 20 fucking movies or whatever, right? Like, you know, or a, 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 a you know, 100 episode anime or something like that, right? I, I, I was about to say, do you think that was ever on the table at all, ever, that like Akira was going to be an OVA, like to, to just video in Japan, but it was so well received in Japan, they made a full feature movie and any possible like series was scrapped because. I would love to watch an Akira like TV show. I don't, I don't know the inner workings of of the Japanese film industry. It seems like he had a lot of juice, though. I mean, because because at least the way it seems to be explained is like the, Akira was fit, uh, funded by what was collectively called the Akira Project, but that was like made up of like. All kinds of, like, like think of it this way, like, I, I can't really explain it because I don't remember all the names of the Japanese TV studios in different places, but think of it this way, like, think of if, if Steve Ditko did Mr. A, 
And everybody was like, oh, man, Mr. A is the, the shiznit, man. Let's make a film out of it. And then Warner Brothers, Universal, fucking DreamWorks, and 20th Century Fox all pulled together all their money to make the baddest ass fucking animated version of Mr. A that ever existed. Like, and <laughs> it, it would be like if, like, if like, like Disney and Warner Brothers were like, fuck it, Justice League versus Avengers, let's do yeah, it. Yeah, or whatever. Like, like, and they just, they just said, okay, we're, we're pooling everybody's money. You know, like that, that's kind of what it, it, it seemed like. So it's like, it, it, it could just be a notion of no one studio could have financed this movie on their own. So it may have just been the mother of necessity, but it also seems like, like I was saying, like there, there must have been, you know, a notion of, of how well received the manga was and, and, and how much of a, a reaction a film version could get, you know, but I, I, I yeah. but I, you know, to answer your question, I have no idea if that was ever on the table. I mean, it, it almost seems inconceivable now, but, you know, I, I don't oh, know yeah. enough about it, you know, like, I mean, I mean, maybe. Can I ask you guys a question? Like, do you think they'll ever make the live action version? And if they do, is that something you'd be interested in watching? I, I can say from my point of view right now, there has been talks of Evangelion for God, like working on 20 years now. And I think it might be coming out. Maybe. I don't know. I haven't kept it on above in the scuttlebutt, but I don't I don't think you could do those kind of stories justice with live action. Like I don't even like Invegelion that much. Yes, I know. Send all your angry emails to blah blah blah. I, I, I got your back because I don't I don't like it that much either. Thank you. But like it is a huge story, it's an epic story. I don't think you could do that in a film, especially we well, we've kind of hit on the fact that it was kinda of hard to do Akira in a two hour animated movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean I mean it, it, that that's one of those things where, you know, what would you you know is it going to be one of those things where it's like adam's family based on the comic strip like like who knows what, what you know what take you would have on it what direction you would go in it like it, would it even be worthwhile to replicate the original film you know like like or would, would nope. they try to do something different with it i know i know the scuttlebutt as tony was saying is that the director of thor watiti you know like that that he was on tap perhaps to try to do a live action version of Akira, you know? And it's like, what are my thoughts on that? It's kind of like, well, one, I'll believe it when I see it. And two, do I want to see it? I mean, I, I feel like anime live action films are still where comic book live action films were back when like CBS was making Captain America TV movies, <laughs> you know, like, so, right. so I, I mean, am, am I super excited about it? Like, mm, no, but I mean, are there are there versions of live action anime films that I enjoy? Yes, generally speaking, they usually come from Japan. Yeah, like that Space Battleship Yamato. Yeah, like that is an excellent adaptation of Yamato that's in live action. Like I I I guess to, the the honest answer to your question is, as long as it's not made by Hollywood, I would probably be a little more excited about it. <laughs> <laughs> or, or, or filmed in Canada. Right. <laughs> yeah. Wow, great game, Yamagata. That was a sweet home run. What can I say? Sports are my anti-drug. No time to talk, guys. Evil scientists and wrinkly children in flying chairs are holding our friend Tetsuo captive and performing experiments on him.
and the proms tomorrow. Now we're going to go and show those douchebags they can't mess with us. Or my name isn't Canada. Washington, Sawyer, Finn, Bush, Cheney, Pamela, Anderson, Lee. True that, yo. True that, y'all indeed, inevitable black gang member. We're with you, Canada. Now let's ride our bike safely under the speed limit straight there. Are you ready, talking bike? I was born ready, Canada. Let's ride. And somehow, I had a feeling things were going to turn out all right. Leonardo DiCaprio is Canada. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I would watch it even, even if it sucked, but I mean... Do you, do you, think, that would, I do you always... think that would bring Daniel Day-Lewis out of retirement? <laughs> He'd be like Tetsuo, you know? <laughs> but but, but my, my bar I always set for Western anime is Dragon Ball Evolution. Huge franchise, huge fan following, and the movie is just balls. It is terrible, so I don't. I, I I wouldn't have a lot of faith in it. I just I would just be like, ah, they're gonna make like you know Kaneda like you know like fucking Leonardo DiCaprio, or they're gonna make like you know Tetsuo like fucking the the fucking kid from Napoleon Dynamite or some shit. You know, since studios are desperate for a successful franchise, I could see someone going. Hey, why don't we make a series of Akira films and adapt as much as we can and try and squeeze six films out of this or something? Like, I could see that. Oh, them trying to make it like a, a Harry Potter kind of franchise? Yeah. Where, where yeah. it's like seven seven movies later, and then, you know, you, you start out with with some poor little kid who's like 13, and by the end of it, they're like <laughs> 23. And, you know, at first, like, you'll be put in jail for wanting to bang Calorie, but then by the time <laughs> the seventh movie comes out, like, everybody's like, oh, she's totally illegal. Like, yeah, I could, I could see that happening. Remember, send your angry emails to Fennel's podcast. Hey, it, 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 I don't even think they have to. Like, that that was said with total <laughs> indictment in my voice. So uh, I, don't, I don't think I need to worry about any angry emails on that. And if I do, go fuck yourself. So, you know. <laughs> but, but, but interestingly enough, on that note, Akira has done amazingly well as far as surviving. I was completely wrong on Lupin the Third. You know, Derek has told me it's been a thing in Japan for a long time. You know, you know what's interesting is there are two live-action Lupin the Third movies, and I've only seen one of them, which I kind of like and own on DVD, which is like from the '70s. And then me and Justin were both sort of lamenting the other day we have yet to watch the the most recent one, which was what was that? 2014, 2015? I don't even know. Yeah, I forget which. Like, year. like yeah. it, it was fairly recent. So yeah. Huh. Yeah, but yeah, but I mean, like, you know, obviously I, I was not, you know, schooled well enough on that as far as my knowledge. But like, as far as I know, feel free to educate me. But Akira, besides the film, the original manga, there there have been updates, there's been remasterings, there's been new dubs. But I I think they just have left it alone. Do you think there's an audience for like some new, not even retelling, but like, you know, uh, 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 a revamp, like, hey, here's Akira. Remember Akira Kids? It's, it's back in POG form. I I kind of, I mean, I, I know I, we've kind of said our piece on live action type stuff, but I, I almost kind of feel like like how they treat James Robinson's Starman. Like, I, I kind of wish, like, you know, it's just like, alright, they told their story about Starman. I just assume them not bring it back or 
take them out of the yeah. mothballs or you, you know what I mean? Like, like, like it was good. It was awesome. This is good. This is awesome. You know, maybe, maybe it's best left alone. Like you can't, you can't capture lightning in a bottle type thing, you know, like, especially like, like, like you're like, you're cool with like them coloring the manga. That's fine. It's still the original thing. Do something cool like that, but don't, don't retell. It I, I've got to say, not only am I cool with them covering the manga, like, I, I gotta say, Steve Olaf's colors and then Joe Duffy's translation on this stuff, like, this is Marvel Comics doing it, basically. Like, like this, yeah, yeah, yeah. Th that exponentially increased my enjoyment of reading this. Like, like, I know there's plenty of, you know, hardcore otaku or whatever they want to call themselves, you know, fanboys. Blasphemy. Where it's yeah, like, yeah, it's yeah. like, you know, only read it in black and white, you know, only read it from right to left and all that stuff. Yeah. I, I think, <laughs> I think there's something that's kind of missed by like, like, you know how much work went into like mirroring this stuff so we could read it like we read American comics, like that it could be colorized like we're used to seeing, like, I mean, and, and the way it was translated and it went through, you know, not only the author, but like the, the, you know, I guess the studio and, and it goes to, you know, I think it's Kodishna who published, you know, young, whatever, young magazine, you know, like those, you know, that, that, that company, it goes through this whole process of, you know, it's like, it's like getting like a Lucasfilm limited stamp on something, you know, it's gotta be, you know, it's not just like George is like, oh, okay, you know, uh. Job of the Hut. He's not Jabba. Okay, stand. <laughs> you know, it's like no. It has to go through like this whole like gigantic process. process. You know, and I'm I'm just like I I you know maybe maybe it's like you know diecast shit. You know, it's like a lost fucking art to like literally translate manga. You know, make it be readable from left to right and colorize it. But anytime there's that instance of it, like I. I go gaga over that shit. Like the, 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 the fist of the North star thing where, you know, it got canceled. It didn't have enough interest because it crapped out eventually, but there, there's a fist of the North star that was like pretty much painted. Like, I mean, you know, anything that's like oh, that, you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. that, that's colorized and, and, and they make an attempt to sort of make it, uh, I, I don't know what the right word is. I, I I feel bad if I say palatable, but you know, make make it you know kind of uh, con con to the congruent eye. with with expectations of uh, a philistine like myself who likes colored manga and and colored comic books as opposed to just you know black and white line art. You know, like like it just it just makes it totally like this great experience to to read, and I'm I'm so happy that that exists. You know that that this was. This was a big enough deal that that they went to those extremes to to bring it over to the states. Well, I mean, I'm looking at like Justin's avatar and the coloring. You know, our, the artwork is already really amazing. That's one thing that like we we may have skipped over praising the animated film so much for its like you know innovations in animation. But goddamn, the fucking manga is beautiful, and Justin's avatar with the colors is just like. Holy shit, that's fucking pretty. That could be a movie poster. Yeah, I think that is something we may have skipped over. Like, I, I do know in my notes I've got several times where I'm just like, wow, because you have these amazingly illustrated, like, sometimes even full-page spreads 
of just like scenes of buildings or just entire the parts of the the entire city being destroyed or building buildings collapsing and falling. It's just like it's such devastation, but it's so gorgeous to look at. And you have to like stop and look and it's 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 almost photorealistic. And I can see why it took him so long to complete it because it's so gorgeous and detailed. Like I just kind of was reading and I there was a I forget which book it is, but there's several pages of just the city being destroyed and buildings collapsing and falling. I'm just like, this is gorgeous. I just kind of, I was just kind of flipping back between those pages for a while. I was like, this is amazing. I, I really like the aircraft carrier being destroyed. I thought that was a really good image. That yeah, like... that is. That, those are some real good sequences too, where like Tetsuo is on top of like a jet and they're firing at the jet. And like, yeah, that, that's some really good sequence and some really great art too. Speaking of that, I, 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 I must confess, I have no idea which came first, but, you know, that sequence where Tetsuo's like, the moon, my lord, and he goes up and, like, puts a big fucking crater in the moon, like, it's like, that's the, the Siriusaurus version of, like, Master Roshi and Piccolo, like, blowing up the moon and stuff, you know, <laughs> yeah. like, where it's like, you're like, oh, holy fuck, like, he, he literally, like, blew up the moon, and <laughs> now, <did> and <laughs> now, like, tidal waves are, like, crashing into, you know, naval aircraft carriers and all kinds of heavy-ass, you know, shit is going on because of the, you know, the, the, the tide connecting to the, the rotation of the moon and all that kind of stuff, and you're just like, this is, and, and like you're saying, it is gorgeously rendered, you know, by you know, by the author, you know, so you're like sitting there going, man, this is, you know, this is great work. And, you know, I, it, it, I guess this kind of briefly came up in the beginning where we talked about Justin's trepidation and reading it. And, and, and I kind of feel like, I don't want to say this in a negative way, because I know I've, I've kind of bagged on Brian Michael Bendis before, but I, I feel like Akira reads like a, modern day written for the trade comic book series in the best possible ways like not 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 in a way that like you can you know i know we always make the joke we can go take a bendis comic you know before you finish dribbling your first p and you're done with it and you're all mad because you paid like five bucks for it or whatever like but in the sense that like it 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 flows really well like you you are engrossed you can you can rip through like five volumes like extremely quickly and you are glued to the page mm -hmm. i've been even more than justin one of the the biggest like poo pooers of like you know god this is long because you 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 didn't pick on me about it but i was like derek akira is so long and you're like D tony you don't have to do it i'm like no, we're going to do Akira. And the the way I got around that in my head was like, at least he's not making us read One Piece. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I know I mentioned this to you kind of off air, but I was like, you know, I was afraid of reading this for so long. And then when I finally got into reading it, it was so easy to read. It is very fast paced. It's like, like the pages just kind of just melt together. And like, that you you really do get to a point where it's like, you know, the, the the popular term today is like you go to Netflix to binge watch. You can binge read this really yeah. quick. Yeah, yeah, and I, I know someone like maybe John Byrne would say, well, if you can read a comic in five minutes or less, you're not totally appreciating it. Which you know we all kind of can point to Bendis and say, haha. But like, I, I feel like it, it, that that also I, applies to how long it takes to fucking write it. So yeah, <laughs> I like. 
I felt like I could read, you know, a book, you know, have a firm grasp on what's going on and look and appreciate the artwork. And I could move on to the next book, you know, fairly quickly. Like I, I felt like I took in everything. And when I, when I did that, like for the first few books, I was like, man, this is really, I'm really burning through these. And I was kind of like, wow, I was, you know, like I was telling Derek, like I was so afraid of this and it's kind of, it's pretty easy. Like this is really kind of cool. This is, and, and this is, again, this is not to be disparaging, but this is not from hell. Like this is not reading an yeah. Alan Moore. No, no, this yeah. is not. It's not like the walls of text. Th- yeah. This is yeah. not reading an Alan Moore comic, and 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 that's always been brought up as a good thing to bring with you to the toilet when you want to take a long ass shit. You know, like like you you <laughs> want to take something meaty like top ten or whatever. You know, you want to take an Alan Moore book with you, right? But but this is not that. Like like even though the size, even though it's it's touted, I think one of the reasons why it's touted at over two thousand pages is not because it's 2,000 pages of writing per se, but kind of what Justin's talking about. It's 2,000 plus pages of gorgeous art where it's 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 human beings, it's science fiction, it's it's landscapes and architecture and, you know, mecca and all that kind of stuff. I want to get every anime fan mad at me right now. I think the reason this would not be a good anime is because there's no filler. <laughs> Dude, we can use those backup strips that Larry Hama and and Joe Duffy and and Warren Ellis wrote in the in the epic stuff as the filler. Yeah, but 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 that's, that's what that's what I'm saying is like I, I I think I realized like the best way to describe this manga, it's clean, really clean. Like you don't like you said, Derek, when you watch the movie, you feel a little confused. When you read this manga, you feel like you're getting every bullet point you need to know. Yeah, you're yeah. like. I, I get this. I know what's going on. The art tells me anything I'm missing. The dialogue tells me anything I'm missing. Whatever, like, descriptions. There's not a lot of descriptions, really. And that that's so good. It's like it's like reading a clean comic experience. And at the end, you're like, I, I, I like the movie. I think the movie is amazing. It's Again, it's, it's a hallmark of anime. People love it everywhere. They tout it as one of the best anime films of all time. I don't know about that. That's, that's up to them. But the manga, when you read it, it, it it is it is kind of like Harry Potter though. I will say this: Harry Potter movies are fun. I love the Harry Potter movies. They're enjoyable. They're they're what they are. They have great special effects, and that's that's great. But when you read the books, you get all these characters you missed, and I've I got all these characters I missed in this manga, and I got a story that's deeper. And the story is deeper in Harry Potter. It's not on the same level as Akira. It's not you know post-apocalyptic you know Neo Tokyo and stuff like that. Not as heavy themes, but I got a better. I got I got world building in this. the The author built a world, and you get engrossed in it. You know, having now read the manga, the way I feel about Akira is kind of the way I feel about Dune. And maybe Derek will get where I'm coming from. It's like I feel like the original source material is really fantastic, and I feel like in the '80s we got two really good films that really tried to capture the best of the source material, but kind of ended up going their own way. And now, you know, there's talk of making a new Dune movie and there's talk of making a live action Akira. And I kind of feel like maybe they shouldn't. Maybe they should just, you know, leave it alone. Let, let it be. Yeah, or, you know, maybe Jordalowski can make Akira and a bunch of bloody chickens can <laughs> run around in the Tetsuo's flesh or whatever. But uh, 
I, I kind of wonder, like, when they made the live, not live action, but the animated Akira, maybe the reason why it was so groundbreaking and so visually stunning is maybe it was the author's intent to kind of scare people away from trying to redo it. It's like, I want to make this the best I can. It might not make sense, but any other motherfuckers are going to be scared to do it. And I think a lot of people were scared to do it. It yeah. must have been touted like Watchmen was for the longest time in, like, development and post-production hell. Like, I'm sure there was the same conversation of Larry's where, I mean, it it, it was famously quoted as, I, I forget if it was, you know, Warner Brothers or whoever was looking at it, you know, when they were doing Watchmen, where they said, this comic is unfilmable. And, and it's almost like Alan Moore was like, fucking A, it's unfilmable. I wrote it that way. You know, like, like that, it's like, he, like he was almost proud of it, right? Like, this is unfilmable. Yeah. And like, and like, I, I, I you, did it on purpose. You, you, you yeah. And, and you kind of wonder, like, like, you know, it, it, one of those things where you're like, oh, well, you know, perhaps, even though, you know, movies weren't intended at the time when, you know, Dune was originally written or, you know, who knows, you know, you know, it, or, or at the very least, you can say that Katsuhiro Otomo, like, he wrote the manga with one intent, and the same guy made a movie with a completely different intent. Do you know what I mean? So, like, like yeah. at the very least, if it's not unfilmable, he made it filmable to his own standards. I, I don't know what I'm trying to take away from that, but that's, yeah, it's something vastly different than, than... He, he, he wanted to make what he wanted to yeah, make. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, which which is like you know like that's something to be said you know it's like with uh, Kira Toriyama, no no pun intended for Akira, but like you know he kept getting dragged back into Dragon Ball with Dragon Ball GT, and now Super is doing really well and it's it's a good storyline that's fine, but I you just don't hear people saying like you know I want to make Akira like offhand off the cuff you know we're gonna revitalize this franchise it it is a very standalone thing. And I think that is a credit to the story. It's like if you're very talented, you have such an amazing core idea that, you know, the film notwithstanding the manga, like, I don't know how you could really replicate that except for an anime. And the anime would not only have to be several years long, but it would need top, super top talent to even replicate anything like the film. And that's not going to happen in anime. It's just not. Not an ongoing series. Yeah, I don't, I don't think... I mean, I, this is not a question Justin necessarily asked or, or even you asked per se, but, like, I, I don't think I would have a huge amount of interest seeing, like, a full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood version of Akira, if that makes any sense. Like, I, 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 don't, I don't think that's anything I need. It's like, but I... I like I said... I, I have derived a great amount of enjoyment. I've, I've read through the manga. This will be my second time now that I've gone through, you know, the, the entire 2000 plus pages. And, you know, I, I, I garnered enjoyment out of it both times. I've probably seen the film by this point, uh, I don't know, like, dozens of times you know at best <laughs> you know like 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 who knows maybe over 20 i don't know like like a, a lot you know like i mean i i i i've seen like i said the 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 streamline dub you know 
Japanese, the Pioneer dub, you know, so that's three times alone, but I'm sure I've watched all of those multiple times, you know, so it's like, at, you know, best case, you know, like I said, dozens of times. So, I mean, you know, th those, those are things where it's like, I, you know, I, I enjoyed revisiting this for the show, and I also just enjoyed, you know, reading it, you know, on its own accord as its own independent entity, but I, I don't know that I necessarily have a huge desire to see the manga itself replicated again or, you know, some some different version of Akira in in animated form. As far as the live-action thing, it might be a curiosity, but like I said, I'd probably be more inclined to be excited if it was something that actually came out of Japan rather than Hollywood, and that's just my personal take on it. But as far as that goes, I, I agree with Justin, what Justin said earlier. He, he said himself he wasn't sure if he would want this resurrected. Do you really want it? Probably not. It's like... I think the old Western adage would actually do well for Japanese or American producers. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Be careful what you wish for. <laughs> that too. <laughs> ben Affleck is Canada. <laughs> I, I'd pay I'd pay good money to watch Ben Affleck beat the shit out of Matt Damon as Tetsuo. <laughs> I was going to say, like, in reference to maybe, like, a, a live-action version, I want to say... But someday we ought to be able to. <laughs> when I referenced One Piece earlier, I, I, you know, the more you know, rainbow over my head. If you're scared by this, like me and Justin were, I was scared too. Like, you know, so many volumes, so much, like, potential information. It's, it's really not. It's a story. It doesn't kill you with, like, fucking exposition. It doesn't, like, make you learn everything. It makes you want to learn what's going on in the universe and makes you, like, it makes you enjoy it. And I'm not saying that, like, in a forceful way. It's, like, you want to enjoy it because it's so, like, compact in the storytelling. It's, like, fast, fluid. You get the ideas. You see where the characters are going. You want to see where the characters are going to go further. And the, the film is still great. I love the film. I never will say anything bad about it. But like Derek said, if you read the manga you'll get a much better idea of what was trying to be portrayed on film. And it was just condensed. They had to condense it for two hours. And it's such a big story that, like, they did the best they could. I think the 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 idea was solid. But the manga and the movie together, you will have a really enjoyable experience. Yeah, I, I totally agree with Tony on this. I think reading the manga really opened up the world that was kind of hinted at in the movie and like i said also it was really quick reading i mean i like i said I, I read pretty quick anyway but i felt like i you know i was taking my time reading each book and you know drinking it all in and you know like i said part of it was i was really kind of enthralled by like when the changes started to appear like i really got into it but like i felt like i was really kind of getting into something no, I I was trying to think of how to describe this. It's like when you think you've seen every episode of something you love, like maybe Star Trek, and then you discover you're like, wow, there's like two episodes that I've never seen. Like I, I it's similar to that. I mean, you know, not exactly, of course, but but yeah, like I'm, you know, like I said at the beginning of this show, like this is something Derek and I have been kind of batting around for at least a year, and I was 
into the idea, but I was putting it off just because I thought it was going to be a heavy workload. And I was kind of like, you know, it's like, oh, all those giant phone book volumes. No, like, what's Derek trying to make me do? But but I really did enjoy it. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking it's almost kind of like watching The Cage after you've seen The Menagerie Parts 1 and 2 for years and years. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. like that, that it brings a whole different dynamic and layer <laughs> to to your original understanding of what Roddenberry was going for. In, it's like, oh, I get the whole yeah. story now. Gotcha. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like that, that and, and maybe you see some of the original intentions or, or you know, the different directions that things took, you know, in, in those contexts and everything. I mean, for, for me, the, I guess the best way I could sum up the experience and why I was so insistent on reading the manga is, you know, reading the manga felt like it lifted the haze of blue cupcakes away from the film for me. You know, even though I think there are still things where, you know, th there's just no explaining it. But I think for a lot of things, it, it definitely lifted the haze of, of Blue Cupcakes from from the film experience for me. And so I, I, I think if you are daunted and or frightened and or scared, you know, like, like there's probably no reason to be other than, you know, who knows, maybe, you know, what whatever, you know, you know. You know why you should be scared, Derek? Because it's already begun. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. But yeah, no, I mean, I mean, I, I don't think anybody should be trepidatious about it. I, I, I think, I think if you, if you have the vaguest enjoyment of the film, I think, I think the, the reading the manga will only embellish and add to your enjoyment. Yeah, I, I think Derek was like, I want you to take my hand and read this manga with me. Yes. And I was like, I'll read this manga, but I won't touch you. Yes, yes, I, I think exactly. Like I was I was very I was very Seth Rogan insistent about come with me and read this manga. Like, I would just like I need another twelve pack. This is long. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, I guess that's it for this episode of Big in Japan. And if Derek would be so kind as to inform our listeners where they can find us on the interwebs, you can, of course, find the backlog of all of our Big in Japan episodes on fanholspodcast.blogspot.com. If you have any comments, questions, and/or concerns, any angry, angry emails about Harry Potter comments, you can send them to fanholspodcast at gmail.com. In addition to Big in Japan, where we talk about anime, we have plenty of other spin-off shows on the Fanholes Network. We've got Toku Thursdays, where we talk about Kamen Rider Gun. We have Mobile Suit Mondays, where we talk about Mecha and, and the Gundam anime. We've got Comics, Motherfucker, Do You Read Them?, where we talk about Marvel Comics, among others. We've got Sentai Saturdays, and we've got... Fan Holes podcast proper, so you can check out all those related shows if you've enjoyed this one. And I think that does it. And this is Justin signing off. This is Derek, Derek WC, because it has already begun. And this is Tony, and we totally didn't even get into the whole idea that this was a World War II parable. I'm sorry, I'll shut up.
you. Oh, okay, good. I was trying to add you, but I couldn't do it on my own. No one adds me but me. <clears throat> yep. We were, uh, I guess you'll have to listen to this someday, but we were, uh, we made a name drop of yourself and, and made use of the uh, terminology rival fusion as it was most applicable. Cool.